The following is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. This is Scorpio Sky, and you are listening to the Keeping It Strong Style Podcast, and it is the best. Yo, this is Rich Ladder from One Nation Radio. This is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. We present to you the Ace of Podcasts, Keeping It Strong Style. Let's go. It's the Ace of Podcasts, Keeping It Strong Style. Covering New Japan, they ready to hold it down. Jeremy Donovan and the young boy Josh. Come and hit a job out in Barrio the Frost. From Tokyo Dome over to the G1. Social Suplex is the network where we can get it done. I'm a chiller. And let them have it Cause this is just an intro Keeping the strong style Six stars from the get-go, boy Yeah, from Tampa Bay to the Tokyo Dome This is Keeping It Strong Style With your host, Jeremy Donovan And the young boy, Joshua Smith And thank you for listening Welcome to Keeping It Strong Style The ace of podcasts on the Social Suplex Podcast Network Jeremy Donovan here with the young boy, Josh Smith on today's show, we'll preview the beginning of the Burning Spirit Tour and cover all this news in the world of New Japan Pro Wrestling. You can support our show by subscribing and following the Social Suplex Podcast Network or keeping it strong style on the podcast app of your choice and leaving a rating and review. You can also get all the podcasts over at socialsuplex.com. Check out our Pro Wrestling Tees store, prowrestlingtees.com. Slash social suplex. That's where you can get your official Keeping It Strong style t-shirt. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider making a one-time or monthly donation by visiting socialsuplex.com slash donate and clicking on the donate button under the Keeping It Strong style logo. This episode is brought to you by the NJPWEXT, the only browser extension for NJPWWorld.com with features like Dark Mode. Improved translations and layouts, custom and shared playlists, synchronized viewing parties, and much, much more. It will take NJPW World to the next level. You can visit njpwext.us today for details. Young boy, how you doing with this uh, little break from New Japan action that we've had? Um, I don't take breaks, my good sir. Okay, <laughs> I've been watching New Japan. Every single day, putting in the work, putting in the time, putting in the effort. You haven't been watching, you know, 1970s, 1980s <laughs> New Japan for wrestling? Like, what are you doing? Uh, no. why, do you, why, why do you have this podcast? Uh, I have not been watching any Anoki, any Billy Robinson, Tiger Mask. You need to enrich yourself, sir. Okay? Mm. Now, I, I hate to do this, but I'm going to have to give you some homework. So instead of just recommend a match of the week, I'm going to give you recommended matches of the week i'm gonna give you a feud <laughs> whole series spanning a decade okay and uh you know so good luck watching all those fujinami versus choshu matches it's gonna be good for you are you gonna give me a uh, recommended decade yeah <laughs> 1970 no just just a year i'll give you a yearbook Ni- just 1975 you know it'll, it'll just be you watching a bunch of enoki uh you know, Andre matches and a bunch of Anoki, uh, um, you know, freaking mixed style rules matches will be really good for you. It's not a choke. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Since we're on the subject, people people sleep on how good Andre the Giant was in the 70s. 
Um, did, did I ever make you watch any 70s, Andre? I mean, I'm sure you have. I don't know. You would remember, bro, because he moves like a cat. <laughs> Incredible. Uh, the only thing I remember is just that it's not a joke. <laughs> the, kill, the killer con match? Yeah. <laughs> that one's good. It's not as good as the Hanson match is better. Those are both really good. But uh, I, I think you have made me watch a Hanson match. I feel like I remember Hanson hitting him with a lariat like over the top rope or something. He goes through the ropes. Yeah. It's incredible. That match is one of the best 80s New Japan matches, uh, even though it's a fuck finish. But uh, <laughs> surprise. <laughs> you know, Anoki is like Andre. I, I can't sit here and tell you I know about the full extent of Andre's, uh, you know, match catalog or anything like that. But from what I've seen, I've probably seen like six or seven Anoki Andre matches that were pretty famous from the 70s and the 80s in New Japan. And, like, they really are kind of, like, the prototypical great little man heavyweight versus giant monster, sort of like your AJ Styles versus Samoa Joe or your Sting versus Vader. Like, Anoki and and, uh, Andre were doing that, like, in the 70s, like, to incredible effect. And, like, those matches, people don't talk about them, but, like, they're really, oh, there's one where Andre uh, takes Anoki's arms and he gives him a pedigree on accident. Like, he, he pretty much invents the pedigree. Like, he pull, like he has him in the, um, you know, like in a pile driver position. Yeah, well, what was and he trying to do? He might have been trying to do this. I don't know. You know, Andre the Giant invented a lot of moves. Like, he invented the tombstone pile driver. He invented, uh, essentially, here he invented the um, pedigree. Maybe I'll, well, if, if we weren't so scared of New Japan taking down gifts, I would share the gift, but I don't want our entire, like, you know, platform to get, like, canceled because we shared one gift from, you know, 1976, so I don't know. Yeah, can't make any risk out here with the gifts. Yeah, I'll send it to you privately, but, like, he has, he has, um, he has him in the position, like, he's going to give him a, uh, you know, a pile driver, and then instead of underhooking the arms, he grabs the wrists and lifts his arms straight up in the air, and then he just goes down to his knees and just like literally bows this man's head into the mat (laughs) and like it's not like a oh that looked devastating no it's actually like it's a wonder that his neck didn't break like those all japan 90s head drops have nothing on this bump like this man's neck and chin and whole soul goes into the mat it's pretty crazy dude that that reminds me of a time when i was uh backyard wrestling in the ring uh local dude here he decided he wanted to give me a pedigree and i'm like (laughs) This can't go wrong. And, dude, he, like, drilled me into the mat. Didn't protect me at all going down. I had, like, the worst headache after that. Bro, you're lucky you didn't get, like, paralyzed or end up with CTE or something. like. I, dude, I'm lucky I haven't ended up with a lot of injuries <laughs> from backyard wrestling. Do you remember when um, Triple H first did the pedigree in WWF and he did a version of it where he kept his hands interlocked. Yeah. Like an S grip and he never let go. And he started like planting people's heads into the ground and they had to change the, the way he did the move where he had to let go and let them take the front, the front face bump because otherwise like there's one dude, I forget the names. Was it Sal something? Oh, uh, was it? No, I'm thinking about the ROH to Sal Renaro. Sal sincere. I think something like that. I don't know. He, he, the guys, it's a pretty famous uh, video, but the guy's wearing pink and white tights and he just 
literally just plows this guy's head into the mat. Like, I don't know. It's horrible. Yeah, essentially he's doing like a J-driller pretty much, except not really protecting them. <laughs> it's worse than a J-driller. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, as far as uh, the break goes, um, you know what? It has actually afforded me a little bit of opportunity to catch up on some of the other, while the G1's been going on, check out a couple matches that have been taking place. I got to see the Dragon Rojo uh, uh, Robbie Eagles match. Uh, I got to see uh, Doki versus uh, L. Lindemann from Glate for the G-Rex title. The links for both of those matches I shared on our Twitter. Uh, so if you guys want to check those out, they're available for free on YouTube. Um, so I got to check those out. Still waiting to see the Osprey matches and um, I'm hearing great things about that Cybernetico uh, from the Grand Prix uh, yeah. in CMLL. It's like, I heard that match is incredible. It looks like they put it up, but it's only available to uh, Japanese users. Yeah, but I figured out how CMLL does it. They do a – so every Saturday, the Friday Night Arena Mexico show from three weeks prior airs for free on, on uh, YouTube. So you can see them all in, in, in Spanish language, like the original broadcast, but they're all – on delay which i don't think they used to delay them that much but uh yeah i felt like it used to be pretty quick like maybe like a week delay maybe sometimes sometimes i felt like you could watch i think you used to be able to watch the arena mexico shows on friday nights live and then catch the replay a week later i don't know yeah but um yeah so i've, I've had a little bit of time to do that it's, it's been a nice little reprieve to not be you know having to watch g1 all the time so yeah seriously this september schedule it's very, very nice <laughs> going forward. Yeah, G1 was definitely a very intense month to uh, get through. And speaking of G1, we did have a question here from Yankee913. Did y'all post the G1 pick'em results? And no, That's all Jeremy. <laughs> no, I have not posted them yet. I am, I'm working, Do you even know who won? Not yet. I, I'm working on it. I you know, got a little behind being out uh, on the mini honeymoon and the wedding and all that stuff. But I only have like a few more nights to uh, calculate and... Uh, hopefully by next week's recording, I'll be able to announce the winner for that. Bro, 2018 Jeremy Donovan is looking into the future. He's <laughs> pissed at you. This would never happen if 2018 Jeremy Donovan was here. The guy had so much enthusiasm for this show, so much gusto. You know, he was bragging about how great the World Tag League was. You know, <laughs> speaking of World Tag League, I'm like looking at some of these teams that could potentially be in it, and I'm like. It could be lit, but it's not going to be. It, come on, but I like it could be a little. It could be fun. The the best world tag league that we have ever covered, I think, is the first year that we did it. Yeah, probably. Probably because, like, I don't know. Like since then, they've just gotten decidedly worse and worse every year. It feels like. But think about it. We can get Aussie Open. Yeah. West Coast Wrecking Crew. We're not getting FTR. Yeah, 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 I highly doubt that. Um, you know, the Bucks. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, Young Bucks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> let's just let's be those guys. Let's just let's just uh, call every like AEW tag team just L- like, Lucha yeah. Bros, Lucha Bros, Death Triangle. You know, House of Black, uh, Matt Hardy Family Office, Even, the Nightmare Collective, they're, they're the Andrade Family Office now. Nah, you messed up the bit. I'm just like saying old shit. Like, doesn't exist anymore. 
George the Rhodes and Al- brothers, George and Ella and Sonny Kiss. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so maybe, I don't know. Maybe we can get the uh, the Trust Busters. Get Slim J in Japan. Hell no, bro. <laughs> the Trust Busters. I feel like uh, what was the the Work Horseman? Wasn't that the group? That's um, J.D. Drake and Anthony Henry, who are on Strong this week. Okay, what's the group that they are in in um, oh, the, AEW? J.D. Drake's in the the, uh, the Wingman, but I think he, he left the Wingman officially. It's only Workhorseman. Okay, because you guys used to like the Wingman, but now you guys seem to like the... Uh, Trustbusters. The tr- I mean, the Trustbusters are just the Wingman all over again. It's no, the same no, shit. It, it's different. Yeah, it's, it's the exact same thing. The Trustbusters, they, they got the Slim J... <laughs> they got they got two oh five legend Arya Davari. Uh-huh. They got Parker Boudreaux, you know, the next Brock Lesnar. Right. Sonny Kiss. They they got a new butler on Dark how's, this week. How's that not how's that different? I don't understand. Because because Wingman, it, it was JD Drake, it was Ryan Nemeth, uh Peter Avalon, Caesar Bernoni. Yeah. Completely different makeup. Different four, group. Four fucking Jags that didn't belong together. It's the exact same <laughs> shit. Didn't didn't they have like Peter Avalon and like the librarian like hanging around a little bit too? And now these guys have a butler. It's the same thing. It's different. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Oh man. But you know, this is uh last day of August. Or August. when you listen to this, it'll be the last day of August. So we got to name our. There, there are no more August dates for New Japan. Did you know what's one thing that's weird? There was a show the day after the G One, and it was it was outdoors, and I don't know anything about it, but I know it happened, like for sure, because I saw pictures of it on Twitter, and uh, in one of the tag team matches, Tanahashi was going up against Taguchi. And there's a picture of Tana of Taguchi pulling his trousers down, exposing the red, uh, you know, underwear. And then Tanahashi has his trousers down, and he's reversed to roll up, and he's sitting with his trousers down and his underwear exposed on uh, Taguchi's face. And this happened the day after the G1. It's some sort of. It looked sort of like a family event, like maybe like a low key like exhibition type of thing. But I, there's no record of it on Cage Match. There's no mention of it on New Japan, uh, NJPW1972.com. But, like, this thing happened. I know it happened. I've seen the pictures. I, I know it happened because I think I saw some account post about it, and I almost had a mini heart attack. I'm like, oh, no. Yeah, because I, I was like, we missed a show. I was like, I don't want to watch that. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, But, yeah, luckily there's no access to it, but – you know, if this is like going to be something lost forever, I mean, put it up there with Tom McGee and Bret Hart and, you know, and uh, Ric Flair and Bob Backlund as, you know, the lost shows of all time, you know? Yeah, put it up there for what, uh, 04 Best of Super Juniors or whatever, whatever year we couldn't find. No, we found all that. But there was, wasn't there one that we were still missing or did we get all of them? We got all of them. Okay. We, we just didn't go back and record the shows like we were supposed to. <laughs> Never mind that. <laughs> the last that. two. <laughs> Never mind um, that. Another one of those like missing um, Holy Grail videos. There's a match from 1989 in Canada. It's Mr. Perfect versus Bret Hart. Supposed to be allegedly the best match they ever had, according to Bret. Mm. But there's only pictures. There's no videotape of it. 
And that will go right up there with Taguchi in a tag team match the day after the G1 in 2022 across from uh, Tanahashi. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. Well, let's do uh, August Wrestler of the Month and Match of the Month. August ended up being a, a really good month for New Japan Pro Wrestling. Young boy, tell listeners who we're going with for the Wrestler of the Month. Okay. I mean, it couldn't be anybody else. And, I mean, it's pretty obvious. The G1 just concluded. And, um, you know, probably a lot of you sitting there are thinking, well, you know, it's Okada. He won the G1. You know, he's the best. He's the ace. <clears throat> That's not happening. Okay. <laughs> You're listening to Keeping a Strong Style. We tell the truth. Okay. Regardless of how anyone feels about it, we're going to tell you the truth. And the truth of the matter is the wrestler of the month for not just New Japan, but for all wrestling across the world, period. The wrestler of the month is Will Ospreay. Now, we did our retrospective last week on the G1 with. One Nation Radio's own James Boyd. You can go back and listen to that. And we highlighted how there was nobody in that tournament that had as good a tournament as Will Ospreay. And he really came into his own in August specifically. You look at the catalog of matches and, you know, just to throw them in for fun, you got the uh, Dave Finley match, you got the um, Yoshihashi match. And those are just, you know, little four-star matches, no big deal. And then... Tack that on to the matches that he had with Naito and the match he had with Shingo Takagi and the match he had with Okada, which all were the three top matches of the entire G1 and, you know, possible match of the year contenders back to back to back. So, I mean, and that doesn't even include what he's done in AEW or RevPro this month. That's just his body of work in New Japan. Did he win the tournament? No, but nobody had a month in August across the world, like Will Ospreay did. Truly astonishing stuff. It's one of those who really won situations. And I No, it, it actually is. Because like, I feel like Ospreay is the guy that came out with more like heat. And, you know, at this point, I kind of want Ospreay to like win the world title so he can face Okada at Wrestle Kingdom. I know. Find a way for him to slip back in that title picture. That, that would be great. But, yeah, Ospreay... Incredible month, like you mentioned, in New Japan, in Rev Pro, AEW, all over the world. Will Ospreay is just absolutely killing it. And we'll talk about Ospreay a little bit here more in a second. It's like, it's like Okada, you know, I'm sure there's someone listening. They're like, but Okada, you know, he had the Jonah match and he had the Tamatanga match and, you know, he won the G1. How can you discount that? Was he out here banging out, you know, four and three quarter matches just for fun? Just nah. for shits and giggles? Nah, bro. <laughs> Actually, I think people will be happy we didn't crown Okada. I'm still seeing a lot of Okada hate online. People calling New Japan Okada Championship Wrestling. Uh, hey, hey, hey. Let's let's not go overboard. Yeah. <laughs> Okada is one of the greatest of all time. So, but uh, you know, it just it wasn't his month. Yeah. So, speaking of Osprey and Okada, the August match of the month is going to be the G1 Climax 32 Finals between Will Ospreay and Kazuchika Okada. Obviously, we already reviewed that match uh, a couple weeks ago and kind of gave our breakdown and thoughts about that. But, uh, you know, it was an incredible matchup. Uh, five stars from Uncle Dave, five from me, five from a lot of people. Um, just absolutely incredible matchup. Another great chapter in the rivalry between Ospreay and Okada. And it was 
you know, head and shoulders the the, the blowaway month, the blowaway match of the month. Um, I guess maybe you could say maybe the Naito match of Osprey could could have been a competitor, but I just felt like Osprey in Okada was just the premier match of the month. Yeah, I don't think uh, it, it was tough. There were like I mentioned in New Japan this month alone, the Naito Osprey match, the Osprey Shingo match, and the Osprey Okada match. They all happen in the same month, and those are three top tier, you know, match of the month contenders, and even possibly match of the year contenders, depending on your take. So, but I think by and large, across the board, almost unanimously, most people prefer the G1 finals, which that's a testament not only to those two guys, but also uh, just the stage itself. I mean, we've had about two years now where the G1 finals haven't lived up to the the reputation that that match and that uh, stage really kind of carry with it. And so it's kind of nice to see things return back to form where it's like, okay, G1 finals, two of the best in the world, match of the year contender, dome season, here we go. Yeah, it was awesome. So we're going to do a little bit of break in format here. We're actually going to go next into recommended match of the week mainly because it involves uh, Will Ospreay, and there's a lot to talk about him uh, on the top of the show here. So we'll talk about recommended match of the week, excursion match of the week uh, to kick off here. Normally it's towards the end of the show, but we're going to give a little, little love this week since it's uh, surrounding a very you know talkable subject in uh, Will Ospreay and uh, Kenny Omega. I just want to set the stage. Um, let me ask you, Jeremy, because I'm not really clear on this. Is Osprey your favorite guy in New Japan right now, or in general? Like, how on, on the level of of like markdom, where would you kind of catalog yourself in terms of Osprey fandom? Right now, I, I think I, I would say Osprey and Shingo are my one A and one B in New Japan right now. Gotcha. So that's pretty high for me. Um, I'm sort of like this. I think Osprey, as far as a performer, he's like can't miss and i get hyped anytime i see him but he's not he's not like my guy like i don't claim him the way i claim tanahashi or doki is what i'm saying is you it, know is it because of new orleans a part of it yeah he told me to <laughs> fuck off mate <laughs> no you know i just um i don't feel that uh emotional connection to the guy but in terms of like entertainment and who he is as a performer i mean there's no denying his greatness. Um, so I say that to say this. I've never really considered our show to be, you know, like an an Osprey, like, smarkdom. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what I'm trying to say here. Like, I don't think we, I've never thought that we stand for the guy. Um, we're not like super, super fanboys. Yeah, we're not like super fanboys of Osprey. But like you mentioned, we're about to talk about two matches that involve him. And there's a lot of... Um, He's kind of in the zeitgeist right now with everything that's happened in uh, the Twitter world and him breaking people's brains and everything that went on with uh, AEW and yada, yada, yada. So I just kind of want to set the stage. Like, like, let's not get it twisted. We're not here to freaking stand for this guy, but we're also not going to lie to you and pretend like he isn't one of the best. Yeah, keeping a strong style, no cap zone. <laughs> the, no, the no cap zone. Oh, my God. Well, anyway, so um, maybe I should start with the recommended match of the week since that's a little bit older. And, uh, Jeremy, you gave me the Golden Lovers, uh, Kenny Omega and Kota Ibushi, taking on 
the team of Hiroshi Tanahashi and Will Ospreay from December 15th, 2018, uh, the last night of Road to Tokyo Dome. And this would set the stage for Wrestle Kingdom, I believe, 13, right? Yes. Okay. So, uh, you know, rewatching this match, um, it was kind of like, this is a match that really lives in my memories. Obviously, I think it's, uh, quite frankly, one of the all, all-time greatest tag matches that's happened anywhere, but especially in the pantheon of, like, New Japan matches. But um, it's interesting because, like, we knew about AEW sort of at the time. We knew that was happening, and there was questions about Kenny Omega. But in my thinking, I never – first off, I wasn't convinced that Kenny was leaving for a lot of reasons. And number two – I never thought that we would not see the Golden Lovers ever tag again. Like there was nothing in my thinking and mindset where I was like, this is the final match of the Golden Lovers. But now like we're like four or five years down the road and it's like, damn, this might actually be the final Golden Lovers like match of all time. That's crazy to think about. Yeah. (laughs) And um, it's, there's a lot of gravity to that. And then also with like the idea that like, Tanahashi's going on his last big run, but he's probably about to drop the belt to Jay White and he's going to be done in the main event scene. Omega's going away. And then you've kind of got Abushi and, uh, and Osprey in this match and they're poised to be the next guys, but especially Osprey from the Gaijin standpoint, like there is a sort of passing of the torch element to this match when it comes to Kenny and Osprey. But like the early portions of the match, they're really focusing on the individual feuds between Kenny and Tanahashi and everything that was going into their IWGP match for the Dome. And then the never title match between Osprey and um, Ibushi. And so it was kind of like the early goings of the match. It was very good wrestling. It was very fast paced, but it was your typical Golden Lovers, you know, great tag match. And it sort of followed the formula that you expect from New Japan in these sorts of situations. And then you get like, I don't know, 15, 16, 17 minutes into it. And then suddenly Tanahashi's getting thrown out. And then you're winding up with this double team of the golden lovers on Osprey and Osprey having to use all of his like high flying and technical acumen to combat one of the greatest tag teams in pro Razu history. And it becomes this flash fest where it's like, they're doing incredible, incredible, incredible stuff. And um, I know I, I always love this match, but I just hadn't rewatched it since it occurred. And seeing it again, it really, like, re-blew my mind. The other thing, too, is, like, at the time, we were highly critical of Tanahashi in this match. We really felt like he took a night off. So let, me tell, <laughs> let me tell you, 2018, December 2018, Tanahashi was working a lot harder than the modern Tanahashi does. And we, and we were watching this thinking, like, bro, he's looking kind of stiff. He's not moving right. I, I don't know. Like, he's definitely, like, looking a, a little banged up. I hope he'll be okay come Wrestle Kingdom time. Bro, if we saw this Tanahashi show up on a night-in, night-out basis, we'd be like, Ace still got it. He's, <laughs> bro, we, we did not give him the credit that he was deserving. But, you know, I think that that's just kind of a sign of the slow decline that's still kind of occurring with him. But, bro, the the the... The aerial stuff, I know that um, Osprey is incredible right now. And I mean, I think the style he's doing is more suited to a top-end player when it comes to main eventing in, in a you know wrestling company. But, bro, 
the stuff he was doing in 2018 that he doesn't do anymore that he was doing in this match it is next it's otherworldly it's like so it's so fucking crazy and then all the stuff that like abushi and and kenny did at the time i'll tell you this i am of the opinion and i've never said this before i don't believe but just rewatching this and kind of going back through my mind i couldn't tell you that i think that the golden lovers are the greatest tag team of all time because by any metric i don't think they are i think they're probably in the conversation of discussion, but I don't think they're a serious contender for a lot of reasons. But I think they might be the best tag team I've ever seen work together. Mm. Like, match for match, talent for talent, like, head-to-head, I don't think I'd give the edge to any tag team that I've ever seen. And rewatching this, like, really re-solidifies that in my mind. It's like, damn, this is only coming along like once ever. And I don't know when we're ever going to see something like what these guys did for all those years in DDT and then the reunion, you know, all those years later, like it's pretty special, but uh, five stars, bro. This match is a five-star legendary. I, I might not have gone five stars at the time, but rewatching it, like it's incredible. You You need to see this match, especially considering where we are now with everything that's happened between these four guys and, and the landscape of wrestling, it's highly recommended. Go rewatch this match. And uh, yeah, it's, it's incredible. Yeah. I rewatched it last night and yeah, dude, just incredible moves. Like some of the spots that they were doing were so wild, so crazy. And the crowd was super into it. Uh, Bro. There was one point listening to the match where I just hear so many like women going, that like it started kind of getting annoying but like <laughs> at the same time i was like damn like i forgot that we used to have lively crowds like this dude that could, like how, how like weird is it like i was kind of getting like a little weird i'm like why is there, like, i was getting weirded out <laughs> i'm like why are they why is there so much crowd noise like where the claps at like <laughs> i was getting weirded out uh but like you know for like tanahashi and Osprey, they would do cool stuff and people would clap and they would cheer but then like in the lulls there's just a million women go kitty kitty and it's like damn like you know it was always funny when you'd hear the one lone woman out in the ether just throw that out there but in this match for whatever reason it's like a bunch of little gnats there's just like kitty 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 like the whole match like he was so fucking over and, and the funny thing is like he would do some heel stuff in the match and they would boo, oh. they would boo but then they would go right back to Kimmy. Like, like, I forgot. <laughs> yeah, there, that was a huge part of it. He was doing so much heel shtick because he's playing up this angle with him and Tanahashi. So there's kind of like this dichotomy where like he's with the boot. It's almost like Sting and Luger. Like <laughs> in 96, where like Luger's the bad guy, but he's best friends with Sting, who's like the ultra white meat baby face. And he's like, you guys don't know the other side of him. I know him on a, he's a good guy deep down. Like, yeah, he's like, uh, Kenny's choking Osprey with the shirt and Reggie's looking at Bushi like, what the heck? Bushi's like, yeah, it's okay. It's okay. <laughs> uh, at the end of the match, after the Golden Lovers win, I always did remember the snow and them holding up their titles and rejoicing. But I forgot that Kenny sang. Yeah, I forgot about that too. Yeah, yeah, um, just incredible. And it's not just the great moves; it's the storytelling, it's the near falls, it's the high octane octane pace, the energy. Oh, when uh, Kenny gives Tanahashi the sling blade. Oh, oh dude, mad heat. It's so good. It's so good. <laughs> well, fast forward to 
August 24th, last Wednesday's AEW Dynamite. We had another incredible tag team match featuring these two men. Uh, well, I guess not featuring these two men, but the builds to featuring these two men. Uh, we had the team of Will Ospreay and Aussie Open, the United Empire, taking on the Death Triangle of Pentagon, Phoenix, and Pack. And man, this was a absolutely incredible six-man match. This was part of the AW Trios Tag Team Tournament to crown the first AW Trios Tag Champions. And man, these guys went out, went out there, absolutely killed it. They got a ton of time. They got like three commercial breaks, uh, probably about like a 25-minute match. And these guys were out here just, you know, again, doing incredible moves. I think people are understanding now, like, why Aussie Open is, like, one of the best tag teams uh, in the world and just the, the chemistry they had with uh, Phoenix and, and Pentagon and Pac. And when Phoenix and Osprey were in the ring together, oh, mm. my gosh, that's the incredible stuff they were doing together. And, of course, Osprey brought, brought back the signature, take a flip off the top rope, land on his feet uh, spot that he normally does. Uh, there, there was uh, I was listening to Observer and like um, it's funny because there have been a lot of Osprey Phoenix matches, right? And mm. I've even been to one of them live, uh, WrestleMania weekend in Orlando for RevPro. But the most recent one was when we were doing the show and we were starting to do excursion match of the of of the year, and there was a, uh, I believe it's Fight Club Pro, which I don't even think runs anymore in England. They had a, a, a one night tournament and the opening round match was Phoenix versus Osprey. And like Meltzer's like, yeah, there was this match that happened between them. I heard it was great, but there's no tape. And I'm like, I definitely watched that. <laughs> I definitely watched that match. And I've seen them um, have quite a few, you know, matches on tape. Like, I don't know. Somebody yeah. needs to tell this dude about like Torrance or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And Osprey, man, like coming off the G1, you think it may be all right. It's a six man tag. He's going to take it easy. No, he was out there. He's, he did the sky twister. He's hitting all his big, you know, springboard signature spots. He's doing all his high pace, you know, the, the tiger faint kicks uh, and the, the Oz cutters and all all the, the flippy do stuff. Just absolutely incredible. The the this match was extremely innovative, extremely high paced. Uh, it goes to show you. I mean, everyone's been saying for a very long time now how great the Lucha Brothers are as a tag team. And everyone's been saying for a very long time now how great Aussie Open are as a tag team. And um, seeing those two teams interact with one another was next level. And, you know, I hate to be that guy, but I'm just telling you, as it is, I think that this team is a great team, but, like, FTR can't go out there and do the shit that these two teams were doing on that night. I'm sorry to tell you that. It's, it's true. <laughs> they can do some other really cool stuff, but, like, they're not going out there and having the match that those guys had in that six-man tag team. Um, that was incredible. And then, yeah, everything with Osprey, everything with um, with Kenny. And Osprey, bro, like, this is the most he's tried in North America on cable ever. Um, this puts to – I hate – again, I, I'm not sure – this actually, I wasn't thinking of this, but, like, the only other match you can really point to that – showcased him was like the Dax match which is admittedly very good but this blows that like out of the water um, oh yeah definitely which is funny because people were calling that a match of the year contender and I was like <laughs> yeah. it, on what in what universe but um yeah like to see him 
for me, I felt like this was somewhat, I hesitate to say star making because I don't know how much it's resonated with, uh, with the audience, especially with all the, the discourse that's come out of it post tense, but man, like what, what a way to give an accounting of yourself to show like what you're capable of doing on, on a big main event level stage with some of the best workers out there. The only two things I didn't like, well, the one thing I really didn't like about it was the commercial breaks. Yeah. Um, getting that many commercial breaks broke up the, um, the flow of why I feel like I need to like go find the, uh, the fight TV, like European feed. So I can actually see what happened in between. Um, I know they did picture in picture, but it's not the same for me. Yeah, dude. I'm so like trained after like 30 years of wrestling when, when a commercial comes on, like to zone out, it's like really hard to focus on those picture in picture dream matches. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, um, but aside from that, I mean, I don't know if I would go five like Dave. I know Dave gave it five stars, but um, this has got to be one of the absolute best tag team matches of the year anywhere in the world. And uh, so far, from my estimation, this six-man tag title tournament that they're doing is probably already the best tournament that AEW's ever run, period. Yeah, it's been so great. And yeah, I went the coward rating on this match. I went 4.75. Uh, just absolutely an incredible uh, six-man tag match. But we're getting to a point, Jeremy, where Excursion Match of the Year is supposed to highlight the best matches from talent from New Japan outside of the company. And there are quite a few contenders, but a lot of them have Will Ospreay's name on them. We're going to have to have a discussion. Like, is it, I, we can't have eight Will Ospreay matches. Like, we're probably going to have to pick. I mean, it's not our fault he's out here having <laughs> having four plus star matches in all over the world this this is the discussion we have every every year i say the same thing and then jeremy goes well you know he did have the good matches hey the, the award <laughs> is the best excursion <laughs> matches it's and not think, our fault that will osprey is going around the world japan uk america all over and having four you know, stars matches that plus you know, it's funny, though, he, he's only won it once, even though, realistically, in my opinion, I think he's probably deserved to win it every year that we've had the, yeah. the award going. But um, usually we end up, like, just picking his three best matches, and, yeah. and that being that. But, like, I'm still holding out hope for Doki and Taichi. <laughs> that match rules. But, uh, no, um, this match was incredible, man, and, um Yeah. Yeah, just incredible, and I I want to rewatch it. Yeah, same here. Especially if we can find like the Fight TV feed somewhere. I'm sure we can. Yeah, and which that's going to build to next week, or I guess uh, tonight when you're listening to this podcast. Uh, this week's episode of Dynamite, the Trios Tournament will continue. Oh, I kept saying Kenny. My bad. I don't know why I said Kenny. I meant to say Pac. Oh, I didn't even catch it. I thought. No, yeah, I kept for some reason. I'm like, why am I? I'm thinking that Kenny teamed with the Lucha Brothers. That doesn't make sense. No, it was it was Pac. Oh, and then there's another layer there too. Is like the stuff with the last time that um, those two guys wrestled. Pac and Osprey was uh, in your call in Rev Pro where they wrestled to a 30 minute draw and a, a pretty great match, but you know one that was kind of sullied by the uh, convoluted booking because at the time Pac was an AEW slash Dragon Gate guy and he was the champion he wasn't doing jobs and osprey was the never champion from from new japan and he couldn't job so they had to they had to do the fuck finish 
Yeah, which they did bring it up on the promo on Dynamite. They were like, yeah, last time we faced it was that 30-minute draw, so kind of dropped some breadcrumbs that we might get a, a singles match. They also had Aussie Open show up with the uh, Never Open tag team, or the uh, strong. JPW Strong Openweight tag team titles, but no one made <laughs> mention of what they were. <laughs> um, so that's cool. But yeah, uh, Osprey at the time was... Oh, wait, Osprey had already dropped the Red Pro title, right? Right, he's just a U.S. champ. So he showed up with the U.S. title, and then um, Pac had the uh, the All-Atlantic title. So a lot of gold, a lot of champions, and, um, you know, it feels like there's money down the line in a potential match with uh, Pac and, uh, and Osprey. Yeah, there might be money, you know, this coming Sunday, depending on what happens in this trios match coming up this week where we have... Yes, I, I haven't even thought of that. Yeah, we have uh, Osprey and Aussie Open facing off against Kenny Omega and the Young Bucks. So you, you got to assume that, you know, the Bucks and Kenny are going to be on the pay-per-view. That would leave Osprey open uh, if he's still, you know, he's still going to be in the country to to face uh, Pac on Sunday for an All-Atlantic title match. Well, I mean, uh, this is jumping the gun a little bit, but they did just uh, like an hour ago make the announcement that for the buy-in, it's going to be Tomohiro Ishii versus Eddie Kingston, which was kind of a big shock and surprise. So with them kind of throwing that on there, what are the, what are the chances that if Osprey's in town, they don't just throw on another New Japan guy, or maybe they, maybe they do another six man with those guys uh, with him and Aussie open. I don't know. Right. AW is in Chicago all week. Now arena all three nights, dynamite rampage and the pay-per-view on Sunday. Uh, so yeah, I don't think Osprey's gonna be flying out anytime soon. So if, if I'm TK, I'm utilizing Osprey and Aussie Open if possible all week. Yeah, I I, I think that sounds great. So um, I don't know what the, what they should do specifically, but I mean, uh, who cares? <laughs> Book them. <laughs> Book them. Uh, all right. So uh, next week for recommended match of the week for the excursion match, I'm gonna go with the the match coming up on this week's Dynamite with Osprey and Aussie Open versus Kenny and the Young Bucks. Uh, it's going to be another incredible match, I'm sure. Well, before we move on, because we, we have some questions about this, I think, and we, we also have some discussion about what's been going on with Osprey. Let me just uh, throw in my recommended match of the week. So uh, with the approval of Jeremy Donovan, I have gotten clearance to uh, <laughs> to recommend a... 60-minute 1970s New Japan Pro Wrestling match. And it is the legendary and famous match between one Antonio Inoki and uh, another Bill, not Will Ospreay, but another Brit named Bill in Billy Robinson. The, um, the original Billy Goat. The original Billy Goat. And uh, for those of you who are wondering, oh, man, an hour-long match from 1970s, uh, go look at Cage Match. This match got 9.31. It's 2022. It's over like 60 years old at this point. So, you know, uh, we're talking about greatness here. And it is widely regarded the best 1970s New Japan match. And it's also considered by most people that watch it close to five stars for the time. So, um, Jeremy, you you tell me what you think when you watch it. But uh, I I would be really surprised if even you know, like a modern fan watching this wasn't impressed with what they saw. Well, yeah, I'll definitely check it out. And I'm glad that you you asked for consent first 
for just throwing out a, a 60 minute match, but yeah, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna spring a 60 minute, uh, you know, match on you without consent. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> All right, let's go back to continuing talking about uh, Will Ospreay and then Kenny Omega. Like we mentioned on Dynamite this week, it will be Will Ospreay in Aussie Open versus the Elite Kenny Omega and the Young Bucks. We had a couple questions here. First from Less Commission seven two five two. Would it be preposterous if Will Ospreay doesn't get the award of wrestler of the year. Will Ospreay is not going to win wrestler of the year. Well, I guess it depends which wrestler of the year awards he's talking about. Yes, that's exactly the, the, the fact. Um, if we are talking about the famous observer newsletter awards, which I think is what most people like pretty much talk about, or even like the PWI awards, he's not winning wrestler of the year, which is that, that award that not only takes into consideration in-ring greatness and great matches, but it also takes into uh, consideration promos, uh, business, you know, um, feuds, programs, um, everything, uh, top title runs typically, you know, did they carry the company? Were they at the forefront? That's sort of a more holistic award as opposed to just, Great matches. Now, for like the Observer Awards specifically, they have in ring performer of the year, which is what I think a lot of New Japan fans fans equate to wrestler of the year. And like, I'm pretty sure at this point it's a slam dunk. Nobody's beating Osprey when it comes to in ring performer. If anyone else wins that award at this point, they either have to have done an immense level of work between now and like November or Will Osprey got robbed. But when it comes to the that holistic award, a guy that's at top, top champion in a top company with the best promos, you know, having great matches with everybody across the world. Nobody's beating John Moxley at this point for my money. And um, I mean, uh, there could have been other people like Roman Reigns could have won that, but he's not working. Okada dropped the belt and hasn't, you know, he's had a good G1, but he just hasn't had the type of year that maybe he seem to be projected to have earlier this year. Um, that's and, and Hangman Adam Page hasn't really been utilized the way he seemed to be early in the year. Jericho seemed to kind of be a, a contender, but for me right now, the only guy that really has a, a really solid, solidified chance of winning the real quote-unquote wrestler of the year award is John Moxley. Yeah, definitely, if you're, you're going off of that, yeah, that Ric Flair wrestler of the year where, yeah, it's somebody who's been on top of a company, been the champion, strong business, um, great promos, great in-ring. I think, yeah, the all-encompassing definitely would go to John Moxley. Like you mentioned, in-ring performer of the year. I think Will Ospreay has it on lock. Um, but when it comes to, let's say, our awards for the, our awards, yeah. for the Keeping It Strong Style Wrestler of the Year Award, which, I mean, it's kind of up. It's in the, in the voters' We leave hands. it open-ended. Yeah. So if, it depends on how you want to vote. If you're a voter who's like, I really value in-ring more, then you're probably voting Will Ospreay. If you're somebody who's like, uh, I'm more of, you know, the person who was on top and who was kind of pushing business and overall, like, you know, centerpiece of the company this year, you're probably going to vote for Okada. So it, it's really up to you. But I would be surprised, I think, if Ospreay, doesn't end up winning our wrestler of the year award looking back at the year new japan's had i mean it's too early to call but 
I mean, I'd be hard pressed to think. I mean, it feels like right now it's probably a three way race between Jay White, Okada, and uh, and Will Ospreay. Yeah, essentially. Maybe you could probably throw in outside chances Tanahashi, Zack Saber. Maybe. Maybe. Yeah. They, they depending. Have, depending. They have, yeah, they have a few more months to catch up. Yeah, but I'm just saying, like, if you were like, you know, but. I'd be surprised if Osprey didn't win our awards. Just depend, you know, just kind of judging based on how things have gone in the past. I think he'll probably win our award. I wouldn't be surprised if he wins like Jay Cass Award, you know. Right. Another question here from Skywalker thirty thirty. How would you personally book this Omega Osprey thing from now? Personal take: Os or Omega wins at Wrestle Kingdom. Osprey beats Omega in the states whenever they can set up a big singles match. All the way around where everyone wins on their home turf is boring in my opinion. Plus, Will getting a big win on that level in the States is big for strong slash NJPW brand in the States. Whereas, I think his big win in Japan should be overcoming Okada to win the title or the G1 sometime next year. Yeah, that's a that's a great point. Now, since we're talking about booking, I think now is a good time to bring up. After the show on Wednesday, there was a post-match promo um, where Kenny and the Bucks came out, Waltz at Osprey's way, talking about how he's had a bunch of, you know, as people are still talking about uh, um, Omega in Japan. And even though they both lost to Okada, um, he has beaten Okada in the Dome, or not in the Dome, but on the big stage in a match that's called the greatest match of all time. And, you know, that's something that, Osprey's never done and he never will do because he's not as good as Kenny. And then there were some other um, insults he threw out. I thought the first half of Omega's promo was great. The second half was a little, it started getting into like juvenile, like childish territory, whereas it, it was a little too goofy for my taste. We start talking about like diapers and childish behavior. And I, <laughs> you know, uh, Kenny's kind of goofball anyway. So I don't know. It's hard for me to take some of that stuff seriously. But, uh, what did you think of this? And, I mean, how do you see that playing into this match coming up? Yeah, I thought the promo was uh, very entertaining. I think, um, you know, people always want to compare Kenny and Will, and I think that Kenny just showed that he's better on the mic than Will. He's just more uh, charismatic. I felt like he kind of ate Will alive on, on the mic. Um, yeah, but, but, I mean, they gave Will an opportunity to say a few things early on, but it wasn't a back and forth. It was sort of like, Will got his chance to say his piece, and then Kenny said his piece. I'll tell you this. I don't think Kenny's better on the mic than Will Ospreay. Mm. I think he just had an opportunity to say more stuff. But, like, I don't think what he says lands as much as – well, I don't know. It's I'll put it – actually, I'll say this. I think Kenny is better in Japan on the mic because I've heard him, like, cut promos in Japan, and he's great, like, in that environment for that, like, context. But like in America, how many like great Kenny Omega promos can you think of in AEW? Well, I feel like most of the time he's been you know a comedy goofball heel. Yeah, and I and he's cut no good promos. Yeah, and I think that's because like Kenny probably struggles to cut the type of promo that is expected and, and that's commonplace in North America. You know, he's not exactly Dusty Rhodes or you know Ric Flair. Yeah, I feel like some of the probably some of the Hangman promos were probably. Uh, pretty good, but I couldn't exactly name off which specific one. Right. Um, but going back to this question, so I mean, um, here's how I would book it. I would have Kenny Omega, whether, 
however it needs to happen. I mean, you can throw in some sort of way to protect Will in this match, but I think at the end of the day, Kenny Omega should one winged should one winged angel Osprey for the one two three in the middle of the ring in this match, and then whatever you need to do between now and January, you build the match, promos, interviews video packages the whole the whole works maybe some surprise attacks whatever you want to do Let, let's get nasty here let's give them the jericho omega treatment you know what i'm saying yeah and then january 4th in the dome in the semi-main event you have omega osprey for the title and omega beats him again Ooh. just like just like skywalker said and here's why because um at this point um, when did when did Osprey win this title in May? Uh, U.S. title. Yeah. Yeah, I think it was May. Yeah. I don't know. Well, it, it, maybe it was June, July, but it wasn't that long ago. And I mean, by the time he gets to January, it's gonna a lot of time with him as champion is gonna have a lapse. I feel like the freshest thing you could do is have Kenny win the title. At that point, you could even have Kenny go on a go back to AEW with the belt and give him not quite the Moxley treatment. I'm not saying he needs to be defending it weekly against, um, against like, you know, new Japan dads, the way Mox did, but maybe do something kind of similar to what he did with the triple a title or what he did with the impact title when he was champion defend against a couple of viable challengers on television in AEW to keep the profile of the title up maybe come back to Japan and do like an April title defense or something like that against, uh, I don't know who, who maybe Jeff Cobb, someone like that, you know, someone that would be like someone that could eat the pinfall and like that could benefit from like being put into a match like that. Yeah. Uh, and then they set up the return match at the forbidden door too, maybe in the main event. I don't know. And then, just like uh, Skywalker thirty thirty says, Osprey should beat him in the in the main event in America because yeah, I agree with every point he made. In fact, I, it might sound like I'm stealing from him, but you could go ask Rich Latta about like three weeks ago. We had a conversation about this, and this is the exact scenario I laid out for him, where I said this is what needs to happen, and here's why. And I I feel like the main reason is what he highlighted, Osprey has the best shot right now outside of Jay White to be a major commodity in North America. And having him beat a top star like Kenny Omega on a big stage would really raise the profile of himself and also Strong and New Japan as a brand and give them some sort of clout to where they could hopefully do more business you know, on this side. And that would strengthen the partnership with AEW because now you've got guys that are seen as viable stars and contenders in New Japan when they cross over again. Yeah, and I think that's a great plan, and I think that's probably end up being the, probably the best way to do it. I would say my only concern about Osprey not uh, Osprey beating him in the U.S. and losing in Japan, I feel like Osprey winning in the U.S., I feel like, yes, it's going to, potentially raise the stock of New Japan, but I feel like you mentioned it's going to raise Osprey's stock more, and I think it's going to end up being more about Osprey than it will be about 
what's going to happen with New Japan in the West. And are, I, are you concerned that he would jump after that, possibly? Maybe. Or, like, you know, he he's considering, you know, maybe I'm starting to become a big star in the States. Maybe I consider my options when my New Japan contract is up. I, you know, get bids from AEW and WWE and kind of make my play in the States. Whereas I feel like if he beats Kenny in Japan, I feel like that elevates him to the Japan audience and makes him a better commodity a commodity for New Japan in Japan. And I feel like you can utilize him more in big main events going forward in New Japan. Possibly. I mean, it really depends on um, how you feel the Japanese audience would uh, be receptive, how receptive they might be to another Forbidden Door AEW pay-per-view in America. You know, are they going to tune in? Is that going to matter to them? Uh, my guess at this point, I'm just thinking that there would be even more excitement and more viewership for an event like that, especially with a, a high-profile marquee match like that one and it being a return match of a major Wrestle Kingdom-level match and the storyline that could be built going into it. And th this is all, of course, assuming that they do book it properly and that they do build you know, the heat and everything for it. Um, I think that it could do a lot for both of them. Um, that's just, that's just my feeling. Yeah. Uh, well, I think that the other story you could do, cause Kenny has said, you know, in the promos, I have, it's going to be a while until I'm ready for a big singles match. So you could have, Kenny's not ready. Right. You have the, you know, he's, he thinks he is. And cause remember Donald's holding him back this week and with this whole Osprey thing. And so he thinks he's ready. He's like, oh, I can easily beat Osprey at the dome. He underestimates Osprey. Osprey beats him. Then Kenny has to rebuild, get stronger, and be ready by Forbidden Door two to beat Will Osprey. Yeah, I mean, there's always the chance. What if tomorrow, um, neither Osprey nor Omega are involved in the finish? That's more of a uh, Aussie Open Bucks thing. But Osprey gets the better of Omega and. Pretty much Omega is the weak link in their match and almost loses to Osprey if it weren't for the Young Bucks and it and it showcases the superiority of the younger, faster, more agile Osprey, kind of creating that drive in Omega for down the line wanting to come back and get revenge for the embarrassment of making him look bad. That's possible too. Yeah. So uh, one last thing here to talk about Will Ospreay. So we mentioned that the, the six-man match from last week got five stars, which put Ospreay, I believe, up to 23 of Dave Meltzer five-star rating matches. And there was a, a lot of uh, blowback from that online on Twitter. Uh, got shared that he, you know, got the uh, next five-star match. He's up to 23. I think he's two more away from getting to uh, Masawa's uh, five-star match record from Dave. And that just kind of opened up, you know, a whole thing on Twitter with uh, people trying to, to dunk on Will. Uh, Kevin Nash had a, a quote retweeted and said, you know, how much money did he draw? And, of course, you know, Kenny had a funny comment on, on that as well. And so that no, it was like, what, what are his merch sales look like? And, yeah, uh, yeah. And um, oh, Omega said something about, like, justifiably putrid or something like that. Yeah. So then that, that opened up this whole discussion of, you know, 
the whole, you know, the whole Al Snow thing is uh, a good wrestler, the one who draws, or a good match, the one that draws, and and this whole debate of like, well, is Osprey actually a good wrestler? Does he actually draw? Is he making money? This whole back and forth well, debate. You know, Jeremy, we've been asked this question on the show before. What would you rather have a match that is incredible in the ring solely with no build, no nothing, just that? Or would you rather have a match that has an incredible storyline, an incredible build, but is just okay in the ring? You know, and we've always been like, why do we have to choose between those two things? <laughs> why can't we have both? <laughs> why can't we have both? But, you know, typically, um, the draw of a match has a lot to do with that second part, it has to do with the build, the characters, the storyline, the feud, the hate, the whatever it is, the justification of why people want to see these two people wrestle. Because at the end of the day, a, rest, a wrestling show is about wrestling matches, and the ones that draw are the ones that people are interested in. And so... You know, there is some validity to the idea of when a when a match does business, it does business based off of fan interest in and hype and, and speculation based on that second part. And you know what? It can even be based in the first part. You know, look at um like look at Edge Christian, the Hardy Boys and, and all that. You know, you have a match that wows people and then the second time they do it, TLC two, it's like, oh my god, they're gonna wrestle again, you know. And so sometimes it's even based off of that sort of stuff as well. Um, I feel like there are two camps out there. There's the fans that hate the idea that um, looking at business metrics, which admittedly is probably one of the most boring and mundane aspects of of um you know kind of like grading the quality of art or grading the quality of a match you know um or even the greatness of, of an individual performance and there's some people that that want to defend the art and defend the the in-ring aspect against those who would try to dismiss how good a match might be based on whether it did business or not you know right i feel like there's an overcorrection where they they completely put that out of the realm of consideration as though it has no bearings or no importance or uh, is in no way correlative to what is happening in between the ropes. And then there's this other camp who don't care about what happens in the ring. They just care about the business when it comes to solidifying things. And oftentimes that would be your and I hate to say it this way, but like your diehard WWE fans who don't want to watch any other wrestling or uh, admit that there is anything else that's going on outside of their viewing bubble, you know. Right. And, and, it's, it, and it's also the, the old timer guys like a Kevin Nash and old old timer wrestling. Yeah, the old timers as well, like Kevin Nash and the old guard who don't want to admit that the up and coming talent that's out there, or even like your Jim Cornettes, guys like that who don't want to admit what these guys are doing is better. So they try to rest on the laurels of what they accomplished from a, uh, you know, from, from a financial standpoint to dismiss what's going on. For me, the reality is the truth is somewhere in the middle and there is no, you know how you and I are always like, why do, why do we have to choose? 
that is the real answer. The real answer is you really can't have one without the other because, for instance, I've seen a CM Punk versus uh, Brian Danielson match that happened in like in Florida back in like 2006, 2007, something like that, maybe four. And there's like eight people in the ring or in the audience. They're they're literally having a pandemic level <laughs> empty arena match, and it's incredible. The art, you know, the wrestling itself is incredible, right. but no, nobody saw it, and they probably didn't make any money whatsoever. And it's like I can't really compare that to like, you know, the from a move standpoint, that might have even been a better match than say like Davy Boy and Bulldog, but Davy Boy and Bulldog drew like legit like eighty thousand people, <laughs> and it's like this all time classic thing where you know this incredible carry job by Brett and the story and the family and you know Martha and yada 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 and like all that stuff matters because in wrestling like it's not just you know the performance art and the business there's a melding of those two things together um you know I feel like that it's impossible to you know have one without the other you know what I'm saying yeah and but I, I think it's um kind of bad faith though to try to you know knock down a, a great wrestler by questioning their their merch sales or their drawing ability uh i mean absolutely you can look at a, a ton of different industries you look at movies you know i know you're not a big fan of fast and furious uh but you know they, they make a ton of money but would you they're know, horrible movies you they're know, they're up they're objectively really bad movies i mean i enjoy them but i i know no, well. <laughs> they're fun they're fun but they're not good movies yeah <laughs> and you know you can look at restaurants look, look at mcdonald's uh, they make no millions of dollars, but is that like the the greatest food uh, tasting food in the world? You know, maybe no. maybe after two a.m. But uh, you know, it's you know not, not not your quality food, and so I think it's bad faith to want to ju- you know try to qualify a great wrestler. Oh, if they don't have X amount of merch sales or they haven't drawn X amount of pay per view buys, and they're not a great wrestler. Yeah, I I hundred percent do agree with that, and. That's why I think it's important. I think that that is the catalyst of the overcorrection that I'm talking about, where because people feel the way you're talking about that, it's unfair to dismiss somebody based off of a metric that maybe they don't have as much control over as someone else. Like they has Will Ospreay been given the opportunities that that Roman Reigns has just because of his family connections or based on the company he works on or based on his, you know, physical appearance or, or, you know, handsome, you know, looks. No. Does that make him any less or even a lesser performer because he hasn't done the business that Roman Reigns hasn't? No. Like he's, he's a much better wrestler in every sense of the word than Roman Reigns is. Yeah. You know what I mean? And um, going to speaking to this, the controversy of the 23 you know, star, let's just say it star ratings themselves are, um, I know we always joke, we say, you know, ratings, takes and opinions are not a game, but they are an opinion. Um, Dave, if you listen to Dave, it's funny how many people criticize him, but don't even listen to him. Dave on his radio shows, never a recommendation device. So people know what to watch. He, you, you broke up there. Say so one more time. I was saying that he uses them as a recommend recommendation device in his newsletter. And he just, posts what he thinks the quality of the matches so people kind of have a guide to know whether they should watch it or not how good it is based on his opinion 
Um, it's not the end all or be all of anything. But if we if we want to get technical about it, and you want to look at the body of work that Will Osprey has, the truth of the matter is, on tape in this era, he might have a lot more than twenty three five star <laughs> quality <laughs> matches. Um, you know, again, these are opinions, but you go to cage match where tens to hundreds of thousands of well-informed wrestling fans go and vote on wrestling matches and their their match quality every day this dude has right now over now just to kind of give you context anything over nine could hypothetically be five stars depending on how you feel about it right this guy's got 45 matches rated over 9.0 wow 40 five so am i saying that now i will say this i don't agree with every five star match he's ever given will personally uh there's several that he's done recently that i didn't think were over five stars but it would be really hard for me to tell you that will osprey is not like a top five performer for the decade or for you know the last 20 years like he just is and i mean is it that much of a stretch that he's had as many great matches as Mizawa or Kabashi, like, or Okada? I don't know, man. Like, he's up there. Yeah, and it's, he's what only like thirty, right? Thirty-one, something like that. Like, something like that. He's got plenty more left in the tank. Like, these matches are going to keep happening, <laughs> provided he doesn't get injured or break his neck or anything. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's going to wrap it up with our. Talk on Will Ospreay and the recommended matches. So looking forward to that trios match uh, this week on Dynamite. I really wanted to talk about Burning Spirit, so you know, I'm kind of upset we spent so much time on <laughs> 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 All right, so you want to talk about uh, Burning Spirit. Let's uh, talk about the Burning Spirit Tour, which is kicking off this Friday, September 2nd. So we'll run through the, the upcoming cards before the next recording and maybe give any kind of general thoughts. We don't really feel like these cards are needs any kind of long breakdown or predictions. Yeah. So burning spirit night one, September 2nd, we've uh, got the DKC versus Kosei Fujita matchup between uh Nogan LA dojo lions. Uh, second match of the night, Goto, yo and Yoshihashi along with Oiwa will take on the house of torture, Dick Togo, evil show and Yujiro. Third match of the night, six or nine, and Jado take on the United Empire team of uh, Francesco Akira, Gideon Gray, and TJP. Fourth match of the night, Bullet Club team of Bad Luck Fale, Chase Owens, and Gato take on the United Empire team of Aaron Hanare, Great O'Connor, Jeff Cobb. Fifth match, we have Great Bash Hill along with Kushida versus the Bullet Club team of Hikaleo, Kenta, and Taiji Ishimori. Semi-main event, Desperado, Taichi, Kanemaru, and Zack Sabre Jr., Versus the LIJ team of Bushi, Hiromu, Sonata, and Naito. And in your main event, Kazushika Okada along with Toriano. Teaming with Hiroshi Tanahashi, take on TMDK, Bad Dude Tito, Jonah, and Shane Haste. So before we move on, um, we did have a question here from Zach Tate 8. He says, can you give all of your Lord Gideon Gray hot takes? You know, I, I don't have a, a ton of Gideon Gray hot takes. You know, I'm obviously very familiar with Gideon Gray in Rev Pro, manager of the Legion. 
from what I've seen in my times watching Rev Pro, he's done great work as a heel manager. I think he's going to fit in great with the United Empire and that group and the aesthetic and being a great mouthpiece for these guys. And I know from my you know a few times watching Rev Pro that he's always kind of scheming and, and finessing. So it would be pretty interesting if he, instead of him actually wrestling in these matches, if he debuts a, an actual wrestling member of the Empire and he just ends up just being the manager. I believe he's done things like that in the past in Rev Pro, so that wouldn't be uh, too surprising. You know, when they announced that they were getting a new member for uh, the United Empire, I was like, why would they need a new member? You think about it. I mean, they've got multiple juniors. They've got multiple heavyweights, you know, four guys at this point. Like, what else do they need, essentially? And the one thing that we didn't think of, or at least I didn't, they need a pin eater. They need a Chase Owens. They need a Tamatanga. They need a guy that can come in and replace, elevate Hanare, a guy that can come in so Hanare is not the bottom of the totem pole. This is actually a good thing for him. And that dude is Gideon Gray. And when you think about Gideon Gray's connection to Rev Pro and Osprey, and then the connection he has through the Legion to uh, Great Ocon, and then they're kind of retconning the whole thing, saying that he is the masterminds behind United Empire. He's the guy that's been pulling the strings, making the connections with Francesco Akira and everything like that. And he's going to come in and be like a mouthpiece, a focal point as like a, he's the Gato. He's the guy that's going to come in and second these guys and get heat and take pinfalls. Yeah. And if you remember like when the United Empire first formed, Osprey did say that there was like some kind of investor or backer in the empire, like way back when it first started. So I know it does seem kind of retcon, but it's kind of fits in with the whole thing Osprey was saying from the very beginning. Well, maybe I misspoke. Maybe it's not a retcon. I, um, you know, I'm not as up on a uh, UE lore like you are. I don't, you know, troll the, the Reddit boards for United Empire <laughs> lore, you know? Well, I mean, that was what, like, was it last year the empire formed or was that two years ago now? The last year. Like I like I said, I haven't. <laughs> yeah. I mean, when did when did you start going on those Reddit like pages? You tell me. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just playing. So, um, second night here, we've got Burning Spirit on September 5th, and this is going to be a big one because it's from Cork and Hall, and it is the return of cheering for the first time in literal years. Yeah, in New Japan, we have cheering and Jeremy. The first match in New Japan where fans are allowed to cheer, we have the King Minoru Suzuki taking on Bad Dude Tito. Yo, you know, you asked me who my guy is in New Japan. I, I got to throw up there, you know, Bad Dude Tito. I've been saying for months now, jump on the bandwagon, get behind this dude. And now he's getting this great opportunity here, Cork and Hall. Fans will be able to cheer again. Um, big first opening match against Suzuki. We're going to get the big Kaze Nina from the fans. And then Bad Dude Tito mixing up here with this legend. Great opportunity. This should actually be, I think it's going to be a really fun matchup. And I think it could be something that ends up elevating Bad Dude Tito. You look at some of the work Bad Dude Tito's done in North America, especially in blood sport and stuff like that. And then the physicality, I mean, I think this is a little bit of an attaboy for the good work he's done and strong as well as uh, 
you know, on the undercard tags of G1. And surely he's going to take the loss here. But yeah, what a great way to start it off. Yeah. Bad, uh, Minoru yeah. Suzuki with the Kaze Ninare and, and like coming out in the first match with cheering. You don't think there's any chance Bad Dude Tito pulls an upset? That would be shocking, but I don't think so. I now, like if, if, if there was like odds maker and there were like astronomical odds, I might put a little bit of money on it, I guess. I don't know. I just feeling, you know, Suzuki he does a lot of jobs lately in that. Not to bad. He's not losing bad. <laughs> but like I said, if if you if you give me the uh, like good enough odds, I'll throw like I'll throw some money on it. You know, some play money, that show money. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> um, second match of the night, though, we got Goto, Yano, Yo, and Yoshihashi taking on the House of Torture team, Dictogo, Evil Show, and Yujiro. Third match, Fale, Chase, and Hikaleo take on the United Empire, Gideon Gray, Great O'Connor, and Jeff Cobb. Fourth match of the night, six or nine, and the DKC take on United Empire, Hinari, Francesco, Akira, and TJP. Fifth match, Gato and Ishimori taking on Jado and Kushida. Sixth match of the night, ELP and Kenta taking on Bushi and Shingo. Semi-main event, Desperado, Taichi, Zack Sabre Jr. taking on Hiromu, Sonata, and Naito. And then in the main event, Hiroshi Tanahashi and Kazuchika Okada, the Mega Aces, will take on the team of TMDK, Jonah, and Shane Haste. And then we have one more um, night, the sec- the night following in Corken Hall. This one will be video on demand only, eight matches. We have the team of Fujita, Oiwa, and Nakashima taking on the Suzuki-Gun team of uh, Suzuki, Taka, and Kanemaru. Second match of the night, Goto, Yo, and Yoshihashi, along with DKC, take on House of Torture, Dick Togo, Evil Show, Yo, uh, Show, and Yujiro. And then uh, third match of the night, Pale, Chase Owens, and Hick Leo take on Gideon Gray, Great O'Connor, and Jeff Cobb. Fourth match, six or nine, along with Jado, take on Unite Empire, Hanari, Akira, and TJP. Fifth match of the night, Gato and Taiji Ishimori taking on Kushida and Hanma. Sixth match of the night, uh, Desperado, Taichi, and ZSJ taking on Bushi, Sonata, and Naito. Semi-main event, Okada, Yano, and Tanahashi taking on Bad Dutito, Jonah, and Shane Haste. And then in your main event, ELP and Kenta will face off against Hiromu and Shingo Takagi. So we've got three shows coming up between now and next week. And a couple interesting things here. It looks like most of the shows are essentially i don't want to call them quite road to because it's a little bit more loaded than a, uh your typical road to level shows but maybe just a smidge grade above that like a hit uh like a hino kuni level show where there's a lot of preview tags a lot of uh story building uh, they're clearly leading to a lot of blow-off feuds leading up on this burning spirit tour yeah, I'll see a lot of big stuff. We have the, the U.S. title match coming up with Osprey, David Finley. You have the Okada and Jonah match coming up. Uh, Kushida and Ishimori. They're building. They're still building uh, Jay White and Tamatonga, which will be at Declaration of Power. So lots of stuff uh, being built up here for the, the last night of Burning Spirit in Kobe and the Declaration of Power coming up in October, which would normally be the uh, King of Pro Wrestling spot. So a couple things that uh, we can just unpack. We don't have to go match by match, but we can go program by program. So it's pretty clear that we've got the never open weight tag team champions, Goto, Yo, and Yoshihashi. They're facing off in various different matches uh, against House of Torture, 
Uh, we know that their challengers coming up are the former champions, Evil, Show, and uh, Yujiro. So, um, you know, that looks... It is what it is. It's a never program. <laughs> yeah, and that title match will be happening later on on this uh, Burning Spirit tour. So, you know, we're going to have to kind of live with that three different times. Um, you know, I don't know. I don't know what to think. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you and I, we said we wanted House of Torture in the Never Six Man program. Well, that's what they gave us, so I guess yeah. we can't complain. Yeah, beggars can't be choosers, right? Uh, we also have Watto and Taguchi teaming up, uh, you know, against uh francesco akira and tjp in multi-man uh tag matches so it appears that six or nine are probably going back after their uh iwgp junior heavyweight tag team titles again yeah that's also on the, the last night burning spirit and kobe that match is happening gotcha uh Fale and owens of the bullet club are also um opposite hanare and or i'm sorry uh Okan and Jeff Cobb. Uh, right now, none of those teams are necessarily fighting for any titles, but both of those teams were recently IWGP heavyweight tag champs. And currently, we know the champions are FTR. It's kind of unclear what's going on with FTR as it pertains to New Japan and the IWGP titles. I mean, it, it seems like maybe they might be building to an Aussie Open tag match down the road, but. Uh, one has to think that they're sort of this pairing of Fale and Owens uh, opposite of Ocon and Jeff Cobb is probably leading to whoever's going to challenge FTR down the road for those tag titles. Yeah, it'll probably end up being, yeah, some kind of number one contendership. I do know some, yeah, on the last night in uh, Kobe, it will be Ocon and Cobb versus Chase and Bad Luck Fale. So that could right. potentially be um, a tag title contendership. But also interesting on that last night, there's also going to be Sonata and Naito versus Dangerous Techers. Right. And that's another, um, maybe we've got like a little mini tournament happening here between these four teams and we're not really aware of it, like an unofficial sort of thing. So who knows? Yeah. But that's interesting. Um, aside from that, obviously Kushida is gunning as the next challenger for Taiji Shimori's title. They face off. In quite a few tag matches on this uh program and uh or on this tour and i'm i'm looking forward to that match especially since we haven't seen kushi in a while and you know i i think it's high time that those two guys make up for that wrestle kingdom fiasco from all those years ago <laughs> it's funny as i was watching you know road to the tokyo Dome match the the kenny and abushi versus osprey and tanahashi I was thinking about Wrestle Kingdom 13. I was like, man, that was such a great Wrestle Kingdom. I was like, what was the junior title match? I was trying to remember because I know Osprey wasn't the junior champion. I was like, I was like, oh, yeah, it was that <laughs> Ishimori-Kashida match that Josh absolutely hated, and you freaking ripped the shreds on the air. It's You know what? Let's be clear. It's not a bad match. It's just that we were like in this phase where we were having all-time legendary-level Wrestle Kingdoms, and the junior matches were always outstanding at the top of the card on those nights, like in the top four. And this one just wasn't. And I was pissed, especially <laughs> considering it was Kushida and Taiji Shimori. Like I was like, uh, yeah, yeah, I was not happy, but uh, <laughs> probably like those, uh, those mocks and uh, CM Punk fans were pissed that they gave him that, that, you know, <laughs> three minute squash. <laughs> yeah. That squash. That's, I mean, cause essentially Taiji Shimori beat the shit out of Kushida and then just pinned him. Yeah. 
<laughs> and then it was like, really? <laughs> Little did I know the guy was leaving the company. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so that will be interesting. Um, and then we had quite a few matches where uh, Suzuki Goon is facing off against uh, LIJ. So, like you mentioned, there's going to be that Dangerous Techers and Sonata Naito match. Uh, coming up but also um Hiromu seems to kind of be let's take a look here because i feel like wasn't there an interesting match where he was just in a straight up tag team one of these nights maybe on the the last night in kobe he's in a him, and, him and shingo against phantasmo and kenta is the main event on the vod night yeah um which clearly, like, it looks like ELP and Shingo are leading to a potential um, KOPW match, whatever that may be. But I'm wondering if, uh, you know, I guess Hiromu's not really going to bear too much into that at all. <laughs> yeah, I think it's all about, yeah, Shingo and ELP, which will probably happen at a Declaration of Power since it's not scheduled for a Burning Spirit Tour. Mm, gotcha. Um, yeah, it looks like, you know, Despy and Hiromu are just kind of like playing hangers on for now. Yeah. Kind of building up their kind of this back burner, keeping them hot until something comes up for them. Yeah, but we're definitely getting Taichi and Zach against Sonata Naito. And then um, quite a few nights where we have Tanahashi and Okada teaming up, taking on various versions of TMDK. And this is interesting because Tanahashi is challenging for the Never title, but there's no Carl Anderson anywhere to be seen. And, uh, you know, in the recent news, it just broke that him and uh, Luke Gallows have reached free agency. They're no longer signed to Impact once again. So I'm wondering if they are at this point going to sign with New Japan, what the deal is there. But, you know, um, Tanahashi's kind of just left, you know, kind of backing up Okada and backing up Yano in this TMDK little program here. Yeah, which I think should be fun uh, getting Jonah and Bad Utito Back in the mix in New Japan, also we'll have Shane Haste joining the tour as well. And so those guys, they gel so well together on New Japan Strong. And we know previously before when they were TMDK together, there was great chemistry there as well. So I think they're a great unit, great to kind of have them here on New Japan proper. Looking forward, especially to um, the Korokin with Jonah in the main event. He's already getting you know reactions when they're not supposed to be making reactions. So it's going to be interesting to see just how the crowd is going to be able to react to him fully in that main event against um, Okada and Tanahashi. And I just have a feeling Tanahashi is going to sell so much for Jonah and just make him look like an absolute monster. Yeah, and then, you know, in most of these nights, we've got uh, Jonah and Okada opposite of one another in tag matches in the main event. The only night that that's not the case, according to uh, the rundown, is... Uh, the VOD night in Corkin on uh, 9-6, which I kind of question if that's actually accurate. I feel like they probably sh will be in the main event once again. Maybe not. Um, they are in the main event. Oh, okay. Oh, semi-main. Okay, yeah. That Bull Club match. Uh, uh, yeah. I just I just have the weird feeling that that might get flip-flopped by the time it actually airs. You know what I well, mean? Well, I, I mean, it's Corkin. Um, it, yeah. Juniors can, can main event a Corkin. Oh, no. Of course. I think they should. But I'm just guessing based on... It's New Japan, so. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I mean, that's really the big feud at this point that, that we're kind of getting the previews for is Okada and Jonah night after night. 
And it is going to be interesting to see how they portray those two guys. Obviously, Jonah holds the win over Okada, but Okada won the G1. And they're going to be facing off in a pretty significant match. However, Okada's, you know, contractual title opportunity, um, to use a WWE term, it's not up for grabs. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. If uh, Jonah ends up beating Okada, I think he's going to send him Jay White's way. Like, all right, yeah, you beat me. Now, if you want to face me again at the Dome, you got to beat Jay White for the title. And I feel like if Okada beats Jonah, he's going to send him Triple H's way, possibly. <laughs> yeah, we do, we do have some uh, questions about that later on. <laughs> um, we did have a question here. When is Gato uh, from Skywalker 3030 again? He said, when is Gato finally moving on from Fale and Owens versus Cobb and Okan to ELP and Kenta versus Cobb and Okan? So looks like he wants to get Fale and Owens out of there, replace them with their Bullet Club brethren, ELP and Kenta, which are have ELP and Kenta been teamed together? I, I don't know that I realized that they were like an official quasi-official team yeah i feel like this tour here is the kind of the first that we're seeing them a lot again i kind of missed out some of the, the undercard stuff from g1 maybe they were teaming a lot there but i feel like this that is possible i feel like this is like the real kind of showcase of these guys teaming together elp is a heavyweight now and world tag league like we mentioned is right around the corner so you could have elp and kenta being one of the uh, bullet club teams represented in that tournament yeah, that is definitely possible. So, um, you know, overall, I would say that these these shows have a lot of star power on them. Um, interesting stuff, but, you know, it's the, the main reason I feel like people are going to be tuning in more so than anything else is the big night in Corkin on September 5th, the, the cheering. That's going to be the big draw there. Yeah, definitely. And I believe that show is also free on njpw mm. world as well gotcha okay no worries um but yeah like i said a lot of previews for a lot of programs that are gonna be that are gonna be blown off later on in the tour so kind of back in your more traditional standard new japan rotation i feel like even with some of the tours we've had it, for the past couple of years we haven't gotten you know preview nights like this because it's always been a question with the protocols and with COVID and people dropping out and yada, yada. Sometimes it felt more exhibition-y on these types of shows as opposed to program-oriented. Right. For better or for worse. Yeah. Well, now let's move into New Japan Strong. So this past Saturday we had night three of the High Alert Tour. Show opened up. We had Kevin Knight and the DKC defeating the Heat Seekers of Elliot Russell and Siegman. Nine minutes and 55 seconds. We had a surprise appearance from AEW's QT Marshall. He defeated a gentleman named Parker Lee in two minutes and 56 seconds, which led to uh, an angle where QT wanted to call somebody else out and wanted to have another match which led to the strong debut of Shota Umino coming out to answer the challenge and, and wanting to face QT Marshall. But, of course, QT powdered, and they did not end up having the match there. Um, then there was, in the semi-main event spot, TJP once again defeats Mascot Arata, 11 minutes 55 seconds. So continuing this feud here once again, TJP using the mask to his advantage uh, to get the win over Mascar Dorada. And then in the main event, we had Kushida 
teaming up with Ren Narita. They defeated the workhorsemen of Anthony Henry and J.D. Drake, 11 minutes and 18 seconds. Seems like with the establishment of the strong openweight tag team titles, New Japan is starting to bring in some more uh, independent tag teams like the workhorsemen and even form some new teams here, kind of like Kushida and Ren Narita. I, yeah, I like the team of Kushida and Renarita. I really enjoyed the work horsemen. Uh, did you peep that they, they were able to come in with the Evolve uh, theme that they used to have? Yeah, I did. <laughs> so that was pretty cool. Um, you know, overall, I got to tell you, Jeremy, the High Alert Tour on paper looked incredible. Well, I wouldn't say incredible, but very like, man, this looks very exciting. These are probably going to be really awesome tapings. This is going to be cool. Uh, I think we're back to having subpar uh, production on the on the tour, and that's one of the drawbacks of the taping schedule they they keep. You know, they tape all of these episodes, whether it's between three and five episodes on one night, and if it's a great production or even very good, then the shows are easy to watch. But when it ends up being a bad night, whether it's the lighting, the audience, uh, you know, the camera work, whatever, the setup, then you have to like sit through it for five weeks, and you're like, damn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this uh, uh, North Carolina crowd was definitely crowd was not one of the hottest, uh, strong crowds. Yeah, they were pretty dead. Well, what's weird is they're they're sometimes hot for some things, and then not hot for other things, and they're not the kind of things that you would expect. Like, it's just kind of unexpected. That's also been weird, too. Yeah. Um, and I think this, this was taped during the uh, the Ric Flair weekend, last match weekend. Okay. So, so it might gotcha. be a lot of people who are kind of in town or around that area made for that. I don't know. The other thing, too, is like... Uh, now, I'll say this. I feel like there was some definitely some good stuff. I don't want to, like, disparage the work on the show. But compared to a lot of the tapings that we've seen over the past year since they you know since they've started doing this format so far i feel like aside from like two matches the show has been pretty down and i felt like this is the weakest of all the shows and to where it's like this is kind of just existing in its own universe and that was one of the complaints we had about strong at one point we're like you know it's kind of just it you know, inhabiting its own little real estate space and it needs to feel more cohesive and, and uh, connected to New Japan as a whole. And there was a time where it started to do that and that was cool. But now, and maybe I'm being a little too harsh because again, the G1 was going on. They didn't have access to some of the heavyweight stars and everything like that. And that that also takes attention away from Strong. But I mean, I don't know, man. Like Kevin Knight and the DKC versus the Heat Seekers, that was cool, but, like, will anyone remember that? Does that play into, like, the the mythos, well, the I, I records? Mean, Kevin Knight and DKC got a win. Yeah, that was cool. Um, they got a win, but I don't know, man. <laughs> <laughs> a win. Uh, I mean, the most story-ended thing that happened here was the QT Marshall stuff, which, like, I like QT, but I also kind of don't like – I like – I think he's a cool performer. But the the storyline stuff with the nightmare or with the factory, I hate pretty much. So it's like <laughs> I don't really need him in New Japan. Um, it, it was cool to see Shooter there, but it's like I don't know. Shooter's just kind of filling in for Carl Frederick since he dropped out. Yeah. 
TJP versus Mascara Dorado was one I thought would be. I mean, the the we the match we saw with them in St. Pete blew this one away. It was way better, and this was supposed to be the return match with the Heat because of the mask angle, and it's like everyone kind of forgot about that. And uh, they went out there and they had like a three star special. Like I don't know, there was nothing to this. Yeah, it was. Yeah, gentlemen's three. The whole big thing was just um, TJP taking the mask off once again get the advantage if they hit the uh, Mamba Splash, you get the win. And so, once again, TJP gets the better of Dorada, and it's like, at this point, he beat him twice now, like... And he took his mask the one time. It's like, what are we doing? And it's like, I don't know. I like TJP. He's made a great uh, counting of himself, but Mascara Dorada is supposed to be one of the absolute best luchadors in the world, and it's like, we're we're not seeing it. Uh, and we should. Like, he's a guy that I think should have been in Super Juniors, and I think that maybe they had some plans that didn't work out, but like, I don't know. You know, we, we kind of complained about Finley not, like, making the most of his opportunities. I think these guys, when they do strong, one of two things is either happening here. Either they're thinking, like, hey, I'm going to go work strong and have fun and just, you know, have a nice little, you know, fun night. And they, they probably think not that many people are watching. And maybe they're right. Or maybe they should be thinking, like, I need to be making a name for myself and, like, blowing people away and, like, really going out of my way and busting my ass. And, like, it doesn't matter if there's only – 150 or 200 North Carolinians watching <laughs> this, you know, the, the new Japan management and audience as a whole might be seeing this. And I mean, let's not discount that. I think that what we've seen from, um, bad do Tito, Jonah, um, Tom Isaacs and Tom Lawler, uh, just to name a few, and even like some of the other guys, uh, like for instance, um, Alex Zane and Clark Connors, guys that have been shown heavily on strong when they went to Japan, that audience knew them. That tells me that people are watching this show over there. Otherwise, how do they know these characters? Right. Uh, you know, I know Mascara Dorada has had a very fulfilling career and has done a lot of things, been a lot of places, but it's like, bro, like, come on, bro. Like, <laughs> tying up, <laughs> do do it. Walk the, you're supposed to be the guy that like walks the ring ropes. Fucking do it. Like, come on. <laughs> uh, the main event though, Kushida and Renderita versus the Work Horsemen was very good for what it was. It was an 11 minute tag team match. I thought it was really great. I now Anthony Henry and JD Drake. I thought that those are two guys who did exactly what I'm talking about. Where it's like, this is a real opportunity. Let's make the most of it that we possibly can. And I'm not going to sit here and tell you that this was a blowaway match, but the stuff they did in the match was really cool, and it yeah. was very entertaining. I, and I, I, I liked it. I definitely think we'll see more of the work horsemen on strong after this appearance, especially like I mentioned with you know we now have a tag team division with tag titles. I definitely think you need some teams, and so I think work horsemen could definitely be uh, another team they build up and could be potential challengers in the future for the strong tag team titles. Maybe, maybe not. You know, it's starting to become this thing with Strong where it's like guys that we like come in, have great showings of themselves. Maybe they're signed somewhere else or they're about to sign somewhere else. And it's like they come in and do a couple spots, you know, uh, do a couple shots and, and you know, that's it. And then we never see him again. You know, you think of like, a, I don't know, like a Jonathan Gresham type of guy, you know, or, or uh, Josh Barnett, uh, different people like that. They come in, they, you know, they add some prestige and name, you know, awareness to the show, show up, do their thing. But 
they're not coming back. There is a possibility that like Anthony Henry and JD Drake are like that, or maybe they're guys that get worked into the rotation and become more, you know, regular names. And I'm at the point where it's, I'm kind of finding like, I'm finding it hard to determine which of these guys are going to be guys that stick around or it kind of reminds me of like ECW in the nineties. You'd mm. see like a, like a Bobby Eaton show up or like an Arn Anderson or a, a British bulldog or Brian Pillman. They show up, they do some cool shit and then they're just gone. Stone cold. Stone cold. Yeah. <laughs> so it's kind of, it kind of has that vibe where it's like a lot of different types of people can show up and they might be there a couple times and then go on their way. Yeah. So next week, the conclusion of the High Alert Tour will air. Thank God. <laughs> we have in the main event, the strong openweight title match. Fred Rosser will defend against Fred Yehi. This and is a pretty historic match, Jeremy. Do you know why? Two black men in the main event of a New Japan show? No, it's the first time two people named Fred have ever wrestled one another in New Japan. <laughs> Yeah, you had to make it about race, didn't you? Both these friends. Both these friends. <laughs> no, it is actually, that is true. This is the first time that two black men have ever main evented uh, a New Japan show. It's also the first time that two black men have wrestled one another for a singles title in New Japan, period. Um, so it's pretty, you know, it's pretty historic, pretty cool. Us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Eddie Kingston making his return to strong will take on Jake something. And then the show will open up with lucky Ali versus John Schuyler. Uh, I've seen lucky Ali on FIP shows. He's a really good, really fun guy to watch. So I hope he shows out here on strong and, and sticks around. I got nervous for a second. You know why? Why? I thought it was lucky Ali. I was like, Oh God, we're already, I, I didn't think the women were here. yet. Like, <laughs> you thought it was the, the ally cat. I know. I didn't know who. I just see Lucky Alley. I'm like, I don't know her, but <laughs> why is she in the cerulean blue? Why? <laughs> oh man! Speaking of us, there's a, a picture of Grand Hamada and uh, and uh, and um, who was the other dude? Paraguayo. Paraguayo, there's like a trading, a baseball trading card with the two of them. And um, Grand Hamada is like crouched down in the typical Lucha Libre old school wrestling stance. And then um, Grand, or that's Grand Hamada. And then Paraguayo is just above him with his hands on his shoulder. And uh, Rich like sent that to the group chat. And he's like, I need uh, Rich or I need Josh and Jeremy to recreate this photo for, you know, the keeping a strong style, like logo or like your profile picture. He's like, can y'all do that? And I was like, yeah. And then Jeremy was like, I'm Paraguayo, right? And I was like, nah, bro, I'm Paraguayo. And I was thinking I'm Paraguayo because A, I'm a little bit taller and he's taller than Grand Hamada. Plus I used to have the bushy hair. But then I, I thought about the optics. Like, you crouched down, me standing there holding your shoulder. I just didn't like the way that that, I like the vibe. It was, I was like, never mind. I'll, I'll be Grand Hamada. <laughs> Well, I, I just said Paraguayo because I felt like Grand Hamada, he was more in, in, getting ready to wrestle, and I was kind of like it's the second, the manager, you know, getting you okay. ready, getting you ready to get in the match, you know. You're the invisible hand. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> you're you're my you're Bobby Heat, you're Bobby Eaton, and I'm uh you know Nick Bockwinkle. Exactly. I was talking to Rich one one day this week, and 
he brought up uh, Nick Bockwinkle, like, jokingly about, like, rolling on the ground. And then I went on for, like, I don't know, 20 minutes about how great Nick Bockwinkle is and my history of watching him and everything. Like, Rich just didn't say shit. Like, and afterward, <laughs> afterwards, he was like, well, cool, man. <laughs> he probably I really, had, he probably had I really like, I, I really like Nick Bockwinkle. I don't know what to tell you. He probably had you on mute, and he's like, you know, working on a beat or, like, playing Fire Pro. <laughs> the yeah, bro. He's, he's doing a live stream. Yeah. Got, and he's like, oh, okay. <laughs> Oh my gosh! Uh, so last thing on uh, New Japan Strong, the Autumn Action Tour is coming up on Sunday. Whoa, whoa, whoa! It's not Autumn Attack anymore. Yeah, I guess for some reason they thought a show named Autumn Attack on nine eleven probably wouldn't be a great idea. I don't see. I don't believe in that. I don't believe in changing or apologizing when you make mistakes. You, you, you just you make the mistake, and then if anyone ever tries to call you out on it. You never acknowledge it. You just keep going with it forever. (laughs) Okay. So like, yeah, is that bad optics? Sure. But they should have just no sold it and just kept moving. Just like they do with Chris Dickinson. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just playing. But uh, no, they really did do that. But uh, yeah, Autumn Action Sunday, September 11th. Yep. So recently announced. Homo Hero Ishii will be taking on Filthy Tom Lawler. So we got Big Tom versus Filthy Tom on this tour. Mm. Also, I wonder if that's the first time two Toms have wrestled in a singles match in New Japan. Uh, probably. I would think so. I'll find out. <laughs> Go to the old cage match. Yeah. Uh, also, we'll have the Bullet Club team of Jay White, Doc Gallows, and Carl Anderson taking on Eddie Kingston, Wheeler, Utah, and Homicide. Shingo Takagi, mm. who making his um, strong debut, taking on our good friend Rocky Romero. And then Mystico and Alex Zane will be taking on Blake Christian and Mascarada, Mascara Dorada. Okay, that match, it's on strong, so who knows if it will really be what it could be, but like that match could fucking rule. That's four guys that like if they want to go out there and like you know, tear the roof off, you know, Mascara Dorada, here's your chance. Redeem yourself. You're in there with, you know, Sin Cara, Azul. <laughs> yeah, I don't know about those guys, but I know Zane and Christian are two guys who always kill it on strong, so they'll definitely carry the match if Mystico and Dorada want to be lazy. Nice. Well, that is going to do it for strong coverage. Let's jump into the news here. So a couple of quick news items. As mentioned previously, Tomohiro Ishii and Eddie Kingston 2 at the All Out Zero Hour pre-show. Have they wrestled before? Yep, at uh, Capital Collision. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. (laughs) I saw that match. Okay, that's cool. Nice. Uh, (laughs) um, Also, NJPW, oh, by the way, we are going to watch that at the movie theater again. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm, I'm bro, we need to go eat Chicago style pizza before. Let's do it. All right. Uh, NJPW announced two more Japan shows that will allow cheering. The shows are on October 16th and over. Wait, 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 wait. We're not just having cheering from now on after September 5th? Nah. This is bullshit. <laughs> okay. Anyways. <laughs> Uh, the shows are going to be on October 16th and November 2nd, and 
part of the recently announced Battle Autumn Tour. The uh, October 16th show will be at 50% capacity with cheering allowed by all fans, while the November 2nd tour, uh, show will have sections that will be socially distanced and also allow cheering. So I don't know if that's because different venues and prefectures have different rules at this time, or maybe they're testing out a few different possible scenarios for down the line. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Um, this week, the Wrestle Kingdom 17 logo was revealed. Um, I'm pretty sure we tweeted that out, right? Uh, I think so. Yeah. So it's out there. You can find it. <laughs> what, what do you think uh, about it? Um, yeah, it just looked like a shield with some flames, you know? I like flames and shields. <laughs> yeah, I thought it looked pretty cool. House of the Dragon. <laughs> um, NJPW Strong has announced that Minoru Suzuki will be on the Strong Showdown on Sunday, October 16th from Vermont and Hollywood. Uh, along with that, he will also be working for Defy on October 29th. So be on the lookout for Suzuki excursion matches. They're all the same. Yeah, he's like, oh, I heard Osprey. It's the only contender. I'm, I'm going to turn up at he's Defy. Not. <laughs> he's not. Um, also, Katsuyori Shibata will be doing meet and greet on October 8th in San Francisco. Uh, West Coast Pro announced today that Shibata will be doing a rare U.S. meet and greet at their four-year anniversary show, Ride the Lightning. Uh, FTR announced was announced also for New Japan's Royal Quest 2. One has to assume that there's a high likelihood they wind up having the match with the Aussie Open during that tour, I'm assuming. Yeah. This week on Axis, Jonah versus Okada and ELP versus Juice Robbins from, from the G1 will be aired on Axis. If you haven't caught those matches, check that out. Um, Aussie Open had an interview on NJPW1972.com that was definitely worth checking out. Uh, seen quite a few tweets and excerpts from that interview. Some pretty good stuff there. And then um, kind of in a somber, sad note, uh, Antonio Noki made a appearance on national television in Japan for uh, some sort of game slash talk show. I wasn't quite clear on that, but he was wheelchair bound, extremely frail, and looked to be in uh, pretty poor health. Um, he looked worse than even the video message that he'd sent in to New Japan a couple uh, months back at the early start of the year. So. I don't know. Hopefully uh, his health improves over the span of his lifetime. But, um, you know, people in Japan were pretty shocked to see his uh, lowly state. And uh, I don't know. I, I It seems that it wouldn't be impossible to think that maybe we might need to be preparing for an Anoki tribute show down the line here for keeping a strong style. Yeah, it's always uh, pretty sad when you see guys – like that, I mean, I think back to like Lex Luger, like seeing him you know, like in a wheelchair and, and kind of you know in that the shriveled body compared to how you normally see them. So yeah, it's pretty sad to see where Noki's at um, right now. And yeah, I mean, yeah, like you mentioned tribute show is probably going to be down the line pretty soon. So that is going to do it for the news. Let's jump into the mailbag. We got quite a few questions here. Uh, before we do that, there was uh, some more matches just announced for the Autumn Action Tour for Strong in Las Vegas. Nobody uh, cares about it. <laughs> uh, Shota Umino will be taking on QT Marshall, so that match is official. Uh, Ren Narita will be facing Rock Hard Juice Robinson. The Trust Buster himself, Arya Davari. 
taking on Kevin Blackwood. And then uh, Kevin Knight will be taking on somebody named Chi Cabrera. So, uh, is that a, a, a dude or a chick? Uh, it's a guy. All right. <laughs> we're, we're not we're not doing any uh inner gender in new japan yeah yeah <laughs> uh, all right let's do uh these questions here so first from rambone slam pig any thoughts on the rumors that jonah may be heading back to wwe i know they have lost bigger stars in the past but it seems like a shame to push him with a big win over a college to lose him shortly after should njpw look at a different contract structure well, I mean, that would basically uh, assume that we all have an understanding of what his deal with New Japan is, if there even is a deal. And as far as I can tell, nobody, no one seems to actually have uh, an in-depth understanding of where his, uh, you know, what his contract status is currently. And if anyone does know, they're not really saying saying publicly. So it's hard to say if he's even... Um, eligible to go or not and i think it is highly possible he could be but i i don't know i mean do you think he signed to a short-term deal jeremy i mean what do you think here yeah i know i'm just remembering back to when we were talking to rocky about strong contracts and he's like no there are some guys who are signed just strong there are some guys who have new japan proper deals or then there's free agents that we bring in time and time um and just based on the way he's been used I'm going to guess that I would say maybe at the least he had a, a strong deal, but they still brought him over to Japan. Right. Uh, but then with the way they're pushing him, I'm wondering if they made some kind of new offer. Listen, if if he signed, then New Japan needs to go after WWE with a lawsuit. I am sick and tired of this contract tampering, okay? <laughs> okay. And we will not rest until, yes, we, New Japan. I, I say we in the collective as though I am part of the company. They don't pay me anything, but we will not rest until justice is served. So, you know, I'm tired of this. Sick and tired of it. Tony Khan had to deal with it. Now me and Jeremy have to deal with it. It's just too much. <laughs> yeah. um, and, you know, I was listening to uh, One Nation Radio today, and Rich was saying, you know, he would not have had Okada lose to Jonah just with the, with the off chance that, you know, he, he's not a New Japan guy. He, he can easily go back to WWE. Do, do you agree with that take? Do you think that Okada should have maybe lost to Jeff Cobb or Tom Lawler? Um, I mean, it kind of depends, um, you know, your philosophy and, and what his contract status is, like you mentioned. If, uh, if he signed to the company in some way, then no harm, no foul, because he's not going anywhere anyways, you know? If uh, if he's not signed, but you're trying to sign him and you're trying to entice him and show good faith that you have real intentions to utilize him in a top manner, might be in that like hard place where it's like maybe this could be a gamble, but it's a risk you might need to take, you know, to show him that you actually have intentions for him to be a main event player. And at the same time, I'm sure that Okada, regardless, is going to get the win back one way or the other. So it's not like it hurts him that much to take that loss. But the upside for New Japan is that if he's if Jonah's not contracted and you give him that big win, 
it shows your sign of good faith and maybe that could uh clinch the uh you know that could be the difference maker for signing a guy or not signing him potentially um but if you did want to be ultra conservative and you're like this guy's not signed to us we don't know if he's gonna sign and you treat him like more like like let's look at how new japan kind of treated like let's say jeff cobb early on how many times did jeff cobb get put in high profile spots and lose in major matches to guys that were perceived as quote unquote bigger stars in new japan it happened quite a lot early on until it became more apparent that oh this guy's in for the long haul we're gonna keep him right and a lot of people criticized that because they said it was too conservative and you know they weren't utilizing him correctly and blah 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 could there be an a logical argument that maybe you should have put over like say an archer to strengthen the aw relationship or gone with old faithful and had him get yano'd or had a fall give him a bad luck fall you know things that are you know that have happened before sure me personally i'm kind of like at this point where it's like things are sort of stale in new japan you want to do fresh exciting things that that jonah win was really 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 exciting when it happened and i'm not completely convinced that he is going to wwe currently and uh if he does you know whatever good on him but uh i feel like the company has kind of done quite a bit so far to show like hey we got plans for you kid stick around and you're gonna be a a top star player so yeah, I mean, being undefeated on Strong, they reformed TMDK for him, that big win over Okada, being in the G1 itself. Um, I feel like they've done a lot to uh, really, yeah, show Jonah, hey, we're, we're serious about pushing you, making you a star here in Japan. If I'm him, it's so close to Wrestle Kingdom season. I'm going to see if I can get a big match at the Dome. Even if I'm thinking about jumping, like, let me get a big Dome match under my belt and then jump. Um, but I, I think, yeah, I think it's worth the risk in him beating Okada and I could see him wanting to really prove a point and be like, I can make it outside of the system and and be a top star in New Japan. Since we're on this subject, before we answer the next question, Rambo Slam Pig asked, Kyle Davidson also said, heard rumors that WWE wants Jonah back. Hell no exclamation point. I'd want him to continue this act with the whole TMDK thing. So you know, my thoughts on that are if he does leave, it's not a, a huge blow to New Japan. They're, they'd probably be fine, but that'd be a huge blow to TMDK. They're like dead in the water without Jonah, uh, as far as I can tell, unless unless they do some quick, fast thinking and, and shift things around. And Because uh, right now, as good as Shane Haste and uh, uh, Mikey Nichols and uh, Bad Dude Tito are, there's not that like magnetic centerpiece for that unit the way Jonah is. And also Jonah's pretty good on the mic from what we've heard. You'd kind of need to interchange that with somebody, I don't know, Slex or something, but uh, I feel like Jonah's the glue that's holding that group together. If he's gone, then man, those three guys, I would be like a little nervous for their uh, prospects. I don't know, man. Bad dude Tito is making some uh, serious climbs here, and I think you could elevate him if, if Jonah leaves. To be the leader of a unit in New Japan? Yeah, why not? Uh, okay. <laughs> let's let's see how, how well that's working out for Bateman. 
<laughs> oh, man. So, uh, Rambone's other question, he says, with all the lower card NJPW guys getting tile shots and other promotions, if there were no restrictions whatsoever, who would you most want to see win gold, what title, and where? Huh. That is a pretty open-ended and unique question. So, I think... I think I will need some help from you, Jeremy. Um, you know, this past weekend, the NWA held their 74th <laughs> anniversary in the uh, historic St. Louis, you know, ballroom, whatever, the wrestling at the Jays. And those freaking bastards from CYN came in and they sullied the name of the NWA, you know. Paul Bosch and you know all 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 the, all the history Harley Race and Ric Flair and you know Bob Geigel and and all the history that exists there with Luthes and and all those guys and you know Adam Sher and his group of cronies had to come in and ruin it and they've sullied and tainted and tarnished the name that is NWA so I feel like we need to reestablish the NWA brand. Mm. The champion is Trevor Murdoch, I believe. Um, who would you like to see come to the NWA and challenge Trevor Murdoch for the 10 pounds of gold? Well, there's only one man that comes to my mind, and that is a <laughs> former NWA world That's champion. <laughs> the strongest arm, the man who's killing it right now in, in Noah. Satoshi Kojima, baby. Let's go. No, this isn't that. I don't want to send another. No, I, I, I want to. Uh, all right, all right, all right, all right. How about this? How about this? How about the great Hiroshi Rukon? Ta- no, let's. I'm sending Hiroshi Tanahashi. <laughs> okay, he needs to be added to the pantheon of, <laughs> of NWA champions. And he needs to carry that strap and bring it back to Japan. Dude, Tanahashi with the 10 pounds of gold would look pretty good. Yeah, Tanahashi with the freaking, with his robe, with the cutout in the middle, and he's got the, the, the 10 pounds of gold. You know what I would love for Tanahashi to do? Tanahashi should be a heel, right? Mm-hmm. In, in NWA, he should be a heel because we've seen how good Tanahashi can be when he plays, you know, uh, ace heel in a smaller promotion that he really has no desire to be there and remember that time when he uh fixed the ic title that naito had destroyed yeah what if we got like a video montage of him like destroying the 10 pounds of gold (laughs) (laughs) and then him like building his own like nwa title like a tanahashi eyes nwa title belt that's what i want Mm. trevor murdoch eating a high five flow (laughs) one two three and i don't care what Let's do a, a bull rope match, you know? Fuck it. You know, you also failed to mention that uh, a social suplex alumni was a part of that uh, CYN run-in, one uh, Leo Fox. I- I'm proud of, of my man Leo, proud of Jordan. And he's out there doing his thing, but I'm also disappointed, you know? I taught him better. I taught him to respect the past. He's come <laughs> in and he's tarnished. I mean, think about it. Like, from Harley Race mm. to these lowly states. I mean, I 
just don't get it. <laughs> um, I think I'd like to see somebody win the All Atlantic title. Mm. Um, uh, trying to think who would be the, probably the best person. Well, they got to wrestle Pack. Yeah. Um, I don't know. What about like somebody like Hiromu or Kushida? Those are good. You know, Tomohiro Ishii never did get that title shot. Oh, that's true. Yeah, Big Tom. Yeah. I don't know what a Tom Pack Pack match looks like. I'm pretty sure it's great. <laughs> probably. You know what? Oh my God! That's what needs to happen. What? Tomohiro Ishii versus Trevor Murdoch for the NWA <laughs> World Title. Okay. Tomohiro Ishii. What am I even thinking here? The man who has never won a world title in his entire career, Tomohiro Ishii, wins the oldest and most prestigious world title in existence. That is what needs to happen. That's my answer. Fuck all that A shit. I ride with Tom. <laughs> that would be pretty hilarious. And, and Not awesome. hilarious, legendary. <laughs> and warranted. Oh my God. Great question. <laughs> So uh, next set of questions here from Les Commission 7252. Will you guys be watching the Chaos YTR special that will be broadcasting on New Japan World? It seems like it'll be much fun, especially for the first time I get to look at Smiley Ishii. I saw that they were going glamping or something. I don't really understand. I never know what's going on with them and, and the shit they do with those DVDs and the specials. I don't speak Japanese, so no, I probably won't be watching it. <laughs> Yeah, I will not be watching the uh, the YTR special. Also, I made a, a small post where I thought that the BOSJ was better than this year's G1. I don't want to say many, but a few people agreed. I get that the G1 had a rocky beginning, but was built up halfway with great shows, but I didn't feel like the G1 that us fans are usually hyped for every year. The BOSJ was amazing with outsiders from other promotions, freshly made matchups and unpredictable wins and upsets. What do you guys think? Um, I think it's give or take. Uh, I think there is something to that notion, and you bring up some great points that are very valid. Uh, as far as a match quality standpoint, I think that the Best of Super Juniors was better from an overall qualitative standpoint like on average it was much better than the g1 was across the board but it never peaked as high as the multiple peaks that the g1 had the g1 definitely had a multitude of of matches that outperformed you know the high-end matches in the super juniors but by and large super juniors like almost every night like if, if you had asked me which shows i would rather watch I'd rather go back and watch the Super Junior shows because they just tended to be more uh, consistently high quality. Yeah, like they're yeah. If you look at probably the average star ratings, they were very consistently like in that three and three quarter range, like pretty much most nights. Yeah, the other thing too is like he mentioned, there was a lot of outsiders. There were some kind of cool inclusions in the G one, especially with the expanded field, but like. There wasn't like that international feel. We didn't have people from Impact. We didn't have people. Well, we did have some people. From, we had people from Strong and AEW, which was cool. But like, we didn't have people from Mexico. We didn't have people from Impact and, and Glate and Glate and everything like that. And 
there was a time where it felt like we might be getting all Japan guys, Glate guys, Impact guys, and, you know, all that. So in the G1, and it didn't happen. So, yeah, that that kind of part was uh, sort of missing. But, yeah, I, mean, I don't I don't know. Yeah, I think Super Juniors had a, a better flow sticking with the, the two-block format. And with a new four-block format, we've already talked about some of the, the the downsides of it. I feel like it's kind of really broke up the kind of the stories and the blocks. And Kevin Kelly said this on Observer, but it definitely felt more of a like a New Japan Cup at times than it did a G1. Yeah, but then at the end of it, at the end of it all, Hiromu winning again and then losing in his title shot to uh, Taiji Ishimori kind of left a bad taste in my mouth for the whole tournament. So, yeah. I don't know. And then we got a great finals for G1. We had incredible finals. We had incredible, you know, semifinals and finals. Yeah. Uh, his last question. How many years will it be until New Japan finds their new face of NJPW? And who do you guys think it will be? I think that the top three candidates are, well... If I'm being real honest, I think the top two candidates are going to be Shota Umino and uh, Yuya Uemura. Yeah, and I don't know, based on what we're seeing, I think Uemura might surpass Shooter. Yeah, and I'm thinking that just timetable-wise, um, bring him in, give him a year or two, so maybe like three to four years. Yeah, I mean, it's still got plenty of time, plenty of juice in Okada and some other guys there that they can keep going until these guys are ready. Yeah. Uh, moving on to the next uh, question asker here, P1 underscore HDX. What, NJPW has to, what does NJPW have to do to regain, mostly important, maintain the hot momentum in terms of the TV product on both the mainland and the strong part in North America? I ask that because it seems that despite they got their ducks in a row, it seems that they're playing it safe and keeping and using the same booking route they usually use. Well, um, they've, yes, there have been some things that they've done this year that have been highly traditional in terms of booking, but let's give credit where credit's due. They've done a lot of highly unique things this year, being their 50th anniversary that we've never seen them do or rarely seen them do. Or if they have done it, it's been a very long time since they've done it. We've seen them change formats of tournaments. We've seen them bring in outsiders from other promotions, do interpromotional shows, uh, introduce new titles. They've done, I mean, there's been a, quite a bit of innovation this year, like no cap at all. Yeah, and I think that with borders opening up, we're seeing more of that. I think in building momentum, is yeah, keep bringing in fresh faces, some some outsiders, mixing mixing things up. Um, I think also the, the big thing that's going to help is when they can get cheering back a hundred percent. They're slowly making steps towards that. I think getting cheering because some people they just can't watch flat crowd shows, and so I think getting the cheering back would help bring some momentum back. Um. As far as like the North America side of it, I'm going to be very frank with everybody listening. New Japan fucked themselves six years ago when they had the opportunity to really go full bore with what was happening with 
the Young Bucks and Kenny Omega and the, the Bull Club and the North America expansion, they didn't capitalize on it. Ring of Honor didn't capitalize on it. And that necessitated the formation of AEW, which they essentially helped create their their competition. Luckily, they're in a situation where, for now, both of those companies benefit from a mutual partnership, whatever that may be. But uh, the market share is gone when it comes to North America. Like, there's definitely, they've carved out a niche for themselves. Could strong be better? Yes. Could they do better business in North America from a touring perspective or pay-per-view perspective? Absolutely. Is there reasonable growth opportunity here? Sure. But are they ever going to be on national network television competing with AEW and WWE? And more importantly, making the ad revenue that they could have potentially made here in, in the States in that business model, it's gone. That like that was a time. I'll tell you what, I think stardom, and I'm not the only one that said this. I've heard this, uh, I believe, I can't remember who Kevin, said Ke- it. Kevin Kelly said it. Kevin Kelly said it, and he, he, made, he made a great point. There's more of a market for a, uh, for like a stardom to go on a national network television in North America because that's something people have never seen, and it's highly unique. Uh, we've seen how already WOW is getting like a, a syndicated TV deal with, I believe, CBS. And, uh, you know, what what's to say that a stardom with all these – you know, with this hard-hitting action and these beautiful, you know, performers that, like, it's just something totally unique plus the big-time presentation, that could get on, like, real serious TV. And I'm not saying it will, but, like, before New Japan does. Like, New Japan fucked themselves. Like, they had all these big stars. They had an opportunity. They And all those guys that were at the forefront of their Western, um, you know, explosion, they're in AEW now. Yeah, I, I have a very hard time ever seeing New Japan getting back to that exact spot that they were in uh, towards the end of uh, 2018, uh, going in 2019. The good news, though, this is not a Western company. It is a domestic Japanese company that uh, has expanded internationally, and they can get hot again. They've got the, the one thing that is undeniable is when it comes to in ring product. When they're on, they're the best, period. Better than AW, better than any other Perezu, including Stardom. Um, as far as an in ring product goes, they are the best. Um, and they have that going for them. It's just a matter of, you know, telling the right stories, pushing the right people, creating the hot, uh, you know, matches and giving the people what they want. And, you know, so I have no fear especially with all the guys they have in the pipeline from both from all their dojo systems and the partnerships they have with Red Pro and AW and CMLL and yada 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 there there's a lot to be excited about with New Japan coming down down the line and so I'm not worried about them getting hot again but uh, you know it's just going to take a little time it looks like yeah i think one other small thing we can do is stop the ban of gifts i know it's a, a TV asai deal but That's if, horrible. But if people could actually share gifts online, like I think there would be more buzz and talk about New Japan. Yeah, it's horrible. 
that, that we can't share a gift. A gift. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, next set of questions comes from, actually, uh, P1 had another question here. Also, who do you think should be the first IWGP women's champion? You know, that's the one thing. People keep asking about this, and I really feel out of my element. And I know I have this, like, shtick about not liking women's wrestling, and it's kind of, it's just a joke. But I, I'm not that savvy or familiar when it comes to uh, modern Joshi or even stardom. So I don't even know who's in the tournament, uh, really. And I know I that I don't think they've officially announced everybody. The, the they've announced that, some of the names. Yeah, they, they announced some of the international. I think uh, Jazzy Gabbert, who was in the Mae Young Classic, she's going to be a part of like the international bracket. I don't like her. Her name is Jazzy. It's not a good name. <laughs> I don't think the domestic bracket has been announced yet, but um, I think Mayu Iotani, I believe, is going to be in it. Uh, that would be my if, pick. If she's in it, I would pick her too, but last time I picked her to win a tournament for an inaugural title was for that ROA or for that uh, Ring of Honor women's title, mm. and she didn't win it. So you got you to gotta fix it. Do, it. do it this time. But uh, I think Mayu probably makes the most sense. Yeah. Although it could be, you know, they're talking about a big foreign name. I don't know. It feels like it's probably Tony Storm. What about Britt Baker? Could be Britt, but, you know, I like Britt. I'm, I am a fan of Britt, but only on the mic and as a character, not really. <laughs> um, but, you know, Rossi, like, loves Tony Storm. Yeah, I know he's been asking about her and wanting to use her in future stardom shows. <laughs> like, they gave her a lot when she was there, so I wouldn't be surprised if they made her, like, the inaugural champion. Yeah, it could happen. Uh, next question's here from Skywalker3030. Any bets on Young Lions coming back from Excursion before Wrestle Kingdom at New Year's Dash or later? I think Royal Quest is a chance to do something big with Shooter, who's been there for a while now. Well, you know, that's a good point, but, you know, the, those... uh. Those UK shows, those are, yes, they're New Japan branded, but in my eyes, I kind of see them as like uh, a successor to the old like Global Wars shows, uh, a spiritual successor to them in that certain sense. They're kind of a Rev Pro slash or X NJPW cross promotional show in, in some regards. So it's not like uh, if Shoto Mino's on there, he's graduated and he's back. Right. I feel like. He's not going to be back until it's actually like in Japan because we've seen him on strong on these, you know, strong shows and strong pay-per-views. And we've seen him forbidden door. We've seen him in rev pro. I think the true sign that he is back is going to be when he shows up on a new Japan show in Japan. You know, I think personally it could be jay white but i personally am still on this kick where i think it's going to be naito and uh okada in the dome what if january 4th after the match is over you have naito you know having his big celebration and i'm not saying that he comes out and fucks him up the way kenta did but what if shota amino comes out post-match and like appears in front of everybody in the dome like against whether it's naito or okada could be a pretty big deal could be or you know it could be i mean 
like he mentioned, New Year's Dash. They like to do big surprises, big returns. It's been a long time since those New Year's Dashes felt that way. We haven't uh, last year they didn't even do one, and uh, the past couple of years we haven't had those. Wow, exciting moments, and I feel like that's another sign of new of New Japan, like getting back to like healthy New Japan, where cool, fun, fresh, exciting things are happening at New Year's Dash. Bring back him or bring back, uh, you know, Suji, one of those guys. Yeah, I think Renarita could be a, a potential because he had a oh, like, yeah. Wrestle Kingdom match last year against Shibata. So I, I think he's probably right on the, the cusp of being uh, ready to return. Yeah, and, you know, I didn't say Suji or Renarita as being a face of the company because I see those guys as sort of being like uh, the foils to your Uminos and your. Uh, Yamoras in terms of like I think they're going to be big stars and be be like you know utilized as top players but they're not going to be the face I don't think maybe they'll be like dark dark aces maybe yeah also asked uh, where is this ZSJ Lawler feud going just Royal Quest in the Stardom show or beyond what would you like to see Okada do at the big Stardom show also, for fun, guesses on who the big, famous international name Stardom is teasing to be in the tournament. I'm seeing some funny ones. <laughs> uh, you know, I think the ZSJ Lawler thing is just like two guys that want to work against one another. They're doing the whole Boy George, Ichiban versus... Uh, um, what, George, what's George, George Michael. George Michael, Ichiban thing, and that's funny. But uh, I don't see it going further than just that you know i think it's sort of like a self-contained tag team you know little mini feud yeah i haven't seen lawler being announced for royal quest so i don't think they're doing anything there to build that feud up unless that got announced sometime recently and we maybe, missed maybe it. he is i don't know yeah well you, you could do a singles match there and then that builds to the the tag match at a historic crossover are you a george michael guy or boy george guy uh, neither. <laughs> <laughs> you don't like New Wave? Uh, and that's not really my, my, uh, genre. Bro, I love, I fucking love New Wave. Oh, we're doing, uh, we're doing karaoke here in a couple weeks. You, I'm gonna bust out. I'm definitely busting out some sort of New Wave. I don't know what. <laughs> um, and I think we kind of already gave our, our guesses for, uh, the stardom tournament. Yeah, guys, you know, the thing is, we're going to get a lot of those stardom questions. I personally, I don't feel qualified to address a lot of it because I I just, it's not my element. It's not my expertise. Same way how I wouldn't feel comfortable answering a lot of like Lucha Libre questions. Like, I, I don't know much about Dragon Rojo. <laughs> I don't know much about Julia, you know? Yeah. She hot. <laughs> She's a star, but I don't, I've never, I've seen her wrestle like once. I don't know. Yeah. Um, as far as Okada on that show, um, I would guess maybe they put together one more like, big mixed tag with him and somebody against two, a top star in New Japan and a, a top star in Sardom. You know, I don't like those mixed tags. Let's keep them separate. You know what I'm saying? Or he can do another big non-briefcase slash secretly a briefcase defense against somebody. I saw that Julia was talking about how she's going to break the rules and beat up uh, she's teaming with who? She's teaming with Saber. Okay, she says she wants to hit Lawler in the face. <laughs> she's like, it's stupid that we can't hit each other. I'm, I'm gonna break the rule. So, 
Hmm. Kind of like, remember when WWE did this? The mixed match challenge? Challenge, yeah. Yeah. And they, they were talking about how, like, Braun Strowman was going to fuck Alexa Bliss. <laughs> well, yeah, they were doing some uh, interesting uh, things. In they were doing match. some interesting <laughs> stuff there. They were, like, they were a couple, but they weren't a couple. And there's all this sexual tension. And it was funny because they were big and small. But, like, they were faces in mixed match challenge. But then on the regular show, they weren't faces. And nothing that was happening in this little YouTube world had any bearing whatsoever in the greater overall wwe universe it was weird yeah it was really weird <laughs> that uh facebook watch they were trying to get facebook get over. watch they were trying to <laughs> yeah oh my god uh next question's here from raising falcons it says i once said okada only loses g1s when he's champion now that he's won another one my statement gets more truthful each year only losing two G1s while not being champion in 11 years is pretty wild. How likely is that he's going to win next year's G1 as well? Well, it's pretty likely. Considering how Gato likes to do these fucking storylines where (laughs) tournament winners win multiple years in a row to establish their, like, credibility and dominance and uh year over year and uh also like i feel like if he does it again it kind of eliminates some of that abushi stuff that they did kind of x's that out similar to like remember when Rey mysterio had to go a little bit longer than benoit in right. the royal rumble yeah kind of need to wipe that slate clean plus that would put him tied all time to chono for g1 wins which you know they got to do that eventually too so i'm not saying he's gonna win but like they're never gonna do him winning three years in a row ever they're never gonna get the chance to do that again so if they plan to do it next year is the year i don't know they did it with rapongi 3k they've done you know multiple with hiromu and Remember all the time Sonata and Evil won World Tag League? Like, it's just Gato loves this shit. So he might <laughs> he might just have Okada win again next year. Yeah, especially because I, I think they definitely want him to, to tie that Chono record. Get ready for him to win next year as champion. Mm. <laughs> so he can so he can uh you know do the same thing as Kensuke Sasaki and uh Great Muda. Like it, it that would be threefold. That would be him like wiping out freaking abushi matching his predecessors from years gone by and you know tying chono all at the same time like that would be like the ultimate tip of the cap to okada so like i'm not saying it's gonna happen but like it's it's not that unlikely yeah yeah i could definitely see it happening it's based off the the recent booking patterns i'll tell you this though if someone earlier we had the question what can new japan do to make shit hot again how about not put not put okada over for a third time in a row that might be a good start yeah because i think especially western fans are tired of seeing okada in the main event scene so yeah i think if okada were to win again next year that we would not have uh very happy at least western fans so uh, moving on to the next question here he says would you revert the g1 into only being a prize 
and not awarding a title match. This would allow a more wider selection of possible winners as it separates the Tokyo Dome main event from the tournament. Well, that's a great question, but it's not quite factual. The winner of the G1 did not historically get a January 4th title shot every year. Although, it's not like that only started in 2012 or 2013, whenever, you know, the modern era started. There were several occurrences of the G1 winner getting their title shot on the annual January 4th Tokyo Dome show. That that did happen. There's a historical precedence there. But by and large, almost, in fact, I put out a tweet concerning this issue not too long ago. Almost every single winner of the G1 previous got an IWGP title shot. There were a few, like, uh, there were a few, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Exclusions? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, like I said earlier, Muto won the uh, tournament as champion, so he's not going to get a title shot. He was already champion. Same thing with Kensuke Sasaki. Uh, in 1992, that was a single elimination tournament for the NWA title, and the winner was Chono. So that was a little different. He didn't get an IWGB title shot because he won the NWA title. And um, I think in 93, uh, Fujinami won. And he did not get an IWGB title shot. He did eventually, but it was so far away that it's hard to argue that it was in any way connected to his, uh, you know, his rest or his uh, to- or his uh, G1, G1 win. Yeah. But aside from that, almost every single G1 winner who wasn't champion won the G1, and then subsequently got a title shot, whether it was. A few days later or months later they all did so it's never been just a prize i mean if you win the g1 yes it's this major accomplishment yes it's this uh historical thing but that puts you near the level of the champion so why wouldn't you be challenging the champion for the title after winning the g1 so that's not a thing and i feel like some fans think prior to 2013 that that was a thing that they didn't get a towel shot. They did. It just wasn't always on January 4th. Right. And like you mentioned, like, if you're winning a tournament the champion was in, it, right. it kind of looks like you are better than the champion. So, yeah, why wouldn't you want to be the champion, especially in the rare instances where the winner beat the champion in the block previously? Like, you already beat the champion. You definitely should get a towel shot. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I like the way... I like the idea of, yeah, the winner being like, all right, I'm the best wrestler in New Japan. I should get a a title shot. Yeah, and I mean, he mentioned here, he said, you know, if they did this, if it was just a prize and not awarding them a a title match, it would allow for a wider selection of possible winners as it separates the Tokyo Dome main event from the tournament. Let's be clear. Do I think that there is a possibility that there might be a benefit to having the winner get their title shot earlier than January 4th. Um, I think there is a possibility that that could sometimes be warranted if there was the right story and stage set for that to be good for business and the principles involved. Sure. Why not? 
But some of what this question seems to imply is that like you could win the G1 and not get a title shot. And that doesn't make any kind of like logical sense. You know what I mean? Yeah, and I feel like it turns into like, all right, everybody gets a G1 now. Like anybody could win it because you're not getting nothing important is going to happen afterwards. Right. Well, the thing is, is like typically someone who wins the G1 that's not the champion, they're getting a a major massive push that qualifies them for a title shot. I'd be fine. Like, you know, we were at the uh, the freaking G1 um, press conference back in Dallas where Zack Sabre Jr. first, like, posited the idea that he, he didn't want to wrestle for the title if he won in uh, the Tokyo Dome. He'd rather challenge for it in the UK when they were doing the uh, the shows over there. Who knows? What if someone like, let's say hypothetically, what if him or Will Ospreay, who is from the UK, won the G1 and instead of challenging for the title in, uh, you know, say Tokyo Dome, what if they did like a big Wembley show prior to that a few months earlier? Right. That's, that's a situation where I think that, that would be like, okay, that's historic. That would make sense. They have the home field advantage. They, they won the tournament. They set their, you know, Blah, blah, blah. That would be cool. But, um, yeah, I'm not really keen on the idea that, like, someone wins the G1 and then they don't get a title shot, but they're not the champion. That just, it, it's backwards. Yeah. And his last question, do you think there's any possibility of Moxley ever winning the IWGP World Championship while still being contracted to AEW? Yeah. I think if anybody from AEW had a high likelihood of achieving that goal, it, it is John Moxley. More so, I'd say more so than anybody on that roster, including Hangman Adam Page, Kenny Omega, Chris Jericho, all of them. Yeah, I mean, like Moxley said in promos, which is kind of true, he is a forbidden door. He's been the link, even pre-pandemic, of these companies kind of talking to each other and really helped keep that relationship alive and we've seen the way that he's been pushed when he was u.s champ with both companies i definitely think they would um put the world title on him and still have him be a part of AEW. yeah i agree uh next question here from rp underscore rogue 515 with njpw coming back to new york for rumble on 44th street do you think the stars like okada and osprey will be out that night or will they stick with the guys on strong like Rosser and Romero? Is this why Jay is such a great champion? Because he can seamlessly do both. Huh. Um, I mean, I would assume that there's a good chance that Osprey and Okada show up on that show. Yeah, I'm trying to think. I mean, also we know we have the Declaration of Power. Uh, is it a strong taping or is it a pay-per-view? I thought it was a pay-per-view. Yeah, it's pay-per-view. I mean, I don't see why they couldn't have one or both of those guys, especially since uh, when is that? It's in November? It's in uh, October, I believe. I mean, it's a pay-per-view. It's in New York. They're going to need big names to do to really realistically, like, uh, you know, sell, sell the pay-per-view. So I don't know. Yeah, let me see. Let me double-check that date. So 
the uh, Declaration of Power show. That's Monday, October 10th. Let's see when this pay-per-view is. Um, so the pay-per-view is October 28th. So, yeah, there's plenty of time to get um, some of the heavyweights over. Yeah, and I mean, I don't know specifically who, but they have never done a, uh, one of those more recent New Japan pay-per-views on Fight TV you know, like over the past year that yeah. didn't involve domestic major stars. Now they don't like load them up in the way that some of the other like access TV era specials were, but they always have an Ishii, a Jay White, an Okada, a Suzuki, an Osprey, uh, a Mox, Tanahashi, somebody. There's going to be big names on that show for sure. Definitely, yeah. I think they, they got to capitalize. I know it's not the biggest crowd, but they did sell out very fast. I think it's going to be a hot crowd. And so I think they need to bring some main New Japan guys to that show. Plus, they're going to have Stardom Girls on there, too. So it's right. going to be a pretty big show. Yeah. Uh, next question from front of the show. Chris Sampsa says, how long until we all go back to that Korean barbecue spot in L.A. together? I think that this is a highly highly suspect question <laughs> chris samsa out of the blue is asking us about korean barbecue in los angeles like uh maybe he's just really hankering for some <laughs> for what i would call one of the best meals of my life yeah that, that was incredible it yeah if you guys have ever go to la go to parks bbq in china or in koreatown incredible but uh like is is this dude doing a bit? Is he trying to tell us something is on the horizon when it comes to L.A.? I mean, if there was someone that could uh, give us a little bit of a a little bit of a taste, you know, Chris might be the dude. But uh, I don't know. I hit him up and I was like, "Yo, what's the deal?" He he claims he's not hinting at anything. He claims he just wants some barbecue, but <laughs> he's a pretty mischievous fellow. So I, I don't know if I can really trust him. <laughs> But I, I'm always down for Korean barbecue. I don't know when the next time we'll be going to L.A. is, but we'll, we'll figure it out. <laughs> uh, next question from the Dark Soldier. It says, Killer Cross only had two matches in NJPW and went back to WWE. What a fucking young boy. Am I right? Yeah. <laughs> Just like all the other famous young boys that got signed directly to WWE after two matches in New Japan. Fuck all those young boys. <laughs> uh, he had some other questions to that. Just so a, uh, a regular Kenzo Suzuki over here. <laughs> uh, he had some other questions that just came in. He says, uh, do you think the reason why Okada has been booked so strong this year is not only because of the 50 year anniversary, but only because they might pull a rainmaker shock on Okada in the new beginning of 2023, maybe for returning Shota Umino, for example, to beat him to start the seeds of a new ace, and 2022 was her chance to give Okada his last run as the one and only ace. I know it's crazy to think this, but it's just a theory, a wrestling theory. There's a lot of people that are calling for this, and I think that um, with how prolific the Rainmaker shock was when Tanahashi was on top and everything like that, there might be some sort of story you could tell there that's definitely a thing but i am a little hesitant that we fall into 
repetitive cycles and the trap of just rehashing old plot lines and storylines that have already been told within especially within this company with it with the same guys and everything like that but um i wouldn't be opposed to them presenting on the surface something that looks and harkens back to what that was but ultimately develops and delves into its own unique story and its own completely contrasting different thing altogether like am i going to complain if they bring back one of the young lines that have been on excursion and give them a major massive push and try to usher in a new age hell no i'm gonna be excited if it just turns into exactly what happened with tanahashi and okada even if the matches are great i might be a little bit like uh this feels inauthentic and kind of contrived but uh like i said if they do if they find a way to harken back to it but do something fresh and unique i think that's not a bad idea at all yeah i think the one thing we all have to be careful about when it comes to this whole umino thing is like at the end of the day umino at least right now is no kazuchiko okada and i i know we're all looking for that next big star that next big ace and to push somebody but i i don't as of right now, I, I don't see Umino on that level. So I don't know if you, you day one you, you go in and have him beat Okada. Like, I just don't know if, if that's... The... Well, Jeremy, I would say I do agree with you, except that's what they said back then. That, Remember? That, yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's hard for me to say, like, like, my mind says you are right. But then there's the part of me, it's like, well, history shows us that that's not always correct. Sometimes we say things like that, and we end up being very wrong. That's true. Maybe I could be wrong, but I don't know. I just feel like, <laughs> <laughs> based off the evidence so far, Umino is not like the, the main event level just yet. But maybe, who knows? Maybe he is. Maybe he's maybe ready. he's been holding back the whole time. And yeah. It's a, it's, it's a multi-layered, multi-tiered, 4D-level chess work. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he also asked, he says, I hope Tanahashi beats Carl Anderson for the never title. This, is, this, this isn't even a question. I just don't want Anderson to be a singles champion in the company. It's a waste. He'd be better putting the title on Yujiro. The man years ago said after losing in the New Japan Cup that he wanted to get his life back on track and re-enter the G1. He's already in the G1, and what better way to get your life back on track than not being Carl Anderson and be, be never champion? He wants Yujiro to be never champion. Sounds like, yeah. Hell no. <laughs> I want Yujiro to leave. I want Bullet Club to leave New Japan. I am officially <laughs> fucking done when it comes to Bullet Club. I, bro, they have so many members, and there's no reason for it to exist anymore. I, 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 I'm at the point where, like, I don't need Bullet Club in my life on any level i'd rather just wear the nostalgia shirt and the shirt harken back to the golden era and not be like because now i when i wear a bull club shirt i'm a little embarrassed <laughs> because because i'm wearing something that signifies that i identify with what bull club is today and that's not the case i like the old i like when it was good you know when kenny was uh, there and aj and Devitt and you know all that but um 
I don't know. It, it's just run its course. Like, we don't need that. And, you know, Carl Anderson's cool when he tries, I guess, sometimes. But uh, he's. I hope he drops the title, and I hope they sign with impact again. Who knows? I mean, they, they might uh, sign with WWE. Triple H might oh, go back. Oh, yeah. Triple H likes them. If they go to WWE, do they get to keep the music? The devil. The devil. <laughs> I actually don't even know. I don't know what comes. I don't know what comes after the devil. All I know is like it's like the devil. <laughs> <laughs> and I hear that music and I'm like, it literally hearing that music is this. It gives me the same effect as when I hear uh, Jeff Jarrett's music. <laughs> question here he says how would you feel about motor city machine guns coming into japan to team up with kushida to fight for the never six-man tag titles it's an exciting team they're not hoes like yo and plenty fun matches would be had yeah i mean i'm i'm always down for good six-man tag team matches i'm always down for motor city machine guns anywhere we're gonna see them AEW, uh, the pay per view this Sunday, teaming up with uh, Jay Lethal. I'm kind of anticipating Kushida to lose his title shot and then um, maybe have something interesting happening character wise. And he just feels like, I don't know, like yeah, a relic. It feels like, yeah, feel like he's doing a tribute act to himself. Yeah, he's doing <laughs> He's doing it. <laughs> He's a tribute band that plays his own hits to, to himself, by himself, for himself. Oh my gosh! Yeah, he needs something, man. And I, I like, I love Kushida, but he doesn't feel like Kushida anymore. Yeah, like this guy's been like on strong and impact, and he's been back in New Japan. I feel like there nobody really cares except maybe the domestic audience. But do they care? They haven't shown it. I don't see them clapping very hard. Uh, well, he initially came back. He had huge like reactions to Corkin and some of those shows he did when he first came back. Yeah, the first pop, but that you know you gotta keep them pops coming. What happens when the pops stop? What happens when the pops stop? <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Oh man, this should have been a a one hour show. We stretched it out to a three hour show of bullshit, <laughs> just cause we have to give the people what they want. This show's not for the people. It's just you and me just doing whatever, <laughs> just saying shit. Yeah. I spent like 20 minutes talking about Andre the Giant and, Andre, <laughs> and I know. <laughs> oh, man. We spent an hour talking about Will Ospreay. Yeah. Well, that was actually necessary. Some people might not like that, but oh, well. People are going to be, there are literally going to be people, going to be people like, you don't spend an hour talking about Naito. <laughs> He's not as good as Osprey. Yo, I think we made a lot of Naito fans mad with last week's episode. I don't care. We told the. I'm, told a, I'm the just truth. saying. I'm just saying that. Not that I care. I'm just saying that a lot of Naito fans. I think they're they see us as enemies now. Did I tell the truth? Yes. All right. I, I sleep fine at night. You know? <laughs> uh, no cap zone. Well, when this when this man comes out here and wrestles as good as all of his contemporaries, then we can talk, you know? <laughs> well, uh, on that... How did this happen? <laughs> on, on that note, that's going to uh, wrap things up 
for this week. Next, we'll be back to review the uh, first couple of shows of the Burning Spirit Tour and cover all the latest news. If you enjoyed today's show, please consider making a donation by visiting socialsuitflex.com slash donate and clicking the donate button under the Keeping It Strong style logo. Make sure you connect with us on social media. On Twitter, the show is at KI Strong Style. The network is at Social Suplex. You can follow me at Jeremy L. Donovan on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Social Suplex. Also find us in the Wrestling Squared Circle Facebook group, Facebook.com slash group slash Wrestling Squared Circle. On Instagram, we're at Social Suplex. On Reddit, I'm Pro Black Guy, just keeping a strong style. You can email me, Jeremy at SocialSuplex.com. And check out all the other shows that we have here on the Social Suplex Podcast Network. One Extra Radio, hosted by Rich Flatter and James Boyd. The Grave Consequences, hosted by Caleb and Maserati. All Things Elite with Floyd and Austin. The AEW Match Guide, podcast hosted by Sir Sam. And The Great Match Generator, hosted by Danny Coopler. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a rating and review. And we Hold will... on, hold on. Real quick, one quick question. Yeah. Tanahashi, Okada, Shibata, Nakamura, Naito. Where does Naito rank in those five? <laughs> we can go. We can go. Pro- probably last. <laughs> All right, we can go. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a rating and review. And we will catch you next week on Keeping It Strong Style, the ace of podcasts. Itchy Bob. Ito fans, tranquilo. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for listening to Keeping It Strong Style. We'll see you next time.